Hello, everyone. Happy Ahsoka Tano Day, a.k.a. Best TV Character Ever Day. And welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast, your home on the Star Wars Underworld Podcast Network for in-depth discussion on the lore, the higher public, the whole canon, and in this case, legends of the galaxy far, far away. My name is Matthew, and I'm joining you from uh, Underworld North Studio here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. As always, I'm joined across the continent by your friend and mine, Mr. Joel Davis. Joel, how are you doing this week? I am doing great, and my cat is doing good, too. There we go. <laughs> Right on, right on. Uh, yeah, as the description says, 1999 to 2005 was an exciting time for Star Wars storytelling. It was my favorite era, as as we'll see. Uh, George Lucas was in the throes of giving us a whole new trilogy, fleshing out characters and plot lines, showing us new and familiar locations, and fundamentally shifting our sense of what this Star Wars thing was in the first place. This week, we do look at how the prequel films affected the expanded universe stories written at this time and to help us out joining us, not from across the continent, for me at least, uh, not even from another province. He's from uh, Canada's own capital city of Ottawa. Uh, it's Corey from Tapcaf Transmissions. Welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast. Thanks for having me. Even more north than quarters north for you. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Uh, yeah, further north, colder. One of the coldest capitals in the, in the yeah, world. Coldest, uh, the, the highest range of temperatures. We yes. got that honor. That's true. And very I, little else going for us. <laughs> yeah, know. It's, 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 it's nice. It's very walkable. Uh, the problem mm -hmm. buildings are nice. I enjoyed them. Uh, I haven't been in Ottawa in a while. so I, But I do remember I was there. I was be there in the summer. So I was I did an internship. Downtown. Good, that's the right choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I did an internship downtown and it started like it was a semester it started in september and it was warmish warm enough there mm -hmm. in september but then of course i in december <laughs> yeah so there we go i haven't been to Ottawa. i gotta go back there i gotta visit back there anyways thanks again for for joining us on the pod uh we'll get our, our plugs out of the way first you can follow us on twitter instagram and threads at ion cannon pod e-y-e-o-n-c-a-n-o-n-p-o-d uh yeah that's a you know twitter instagram threads uh only the only Star Wars podcast. So, so I'm actually going to get to this on the Star Wars Underworld YouTube channel. There are three podcasts on this YouTube channel. <laughs> I'm in two of them. <laughs> I'll get to the second one in a minute. Here on the Star Wars Underworld YouTube channel, uh, yeah, we got we got super chats. We got uh, YouTube memberships. So please do support us if you're so inclined. Super chats. If you comment, uh, and donate, and support the channel, support the network. Uh, you will your question, your comment will get bumped to the top of the queue uh also the stars servers underworld discord server uh you can get in there chatting about a whole bunch of stuff joel what's going on in the discord lately uh this week we'll be having another game night we are going to be playing fall guy something we haven't played in a while that won the vote for this week's game night um of course we also have been having the grand star wars watch marathon where we watch every on-screen thing that is canon in chronological order and we're still on young jedi adventures there we go yes <laughs> it's gonna, gonna take a while to get well we got a super chat there we go a couple years there we go. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, welcome, Corey. <laughs> Bre welcome. Break in the dough for us, please. It will be a couple <laughs> years. I, I know that. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, fair enough. The, uh, yeah, that, that rewatch will definitely take take some time. Well, you got to plan till you know, when when the, uh, at least the Ray film comes out or something like that. So, <laughs> we'll see. I mean, there um, could be anywhere from one to seven Star Wars shows this year. So, you never know. You never That's know. true. You never That's know. true. Uh, what is definitely coming out this week are Star Wars comics on this Wednesday, of course. Uh, Dr. Afra number 41 
Uh, you know, number 41, number 40, number 40. I can't count. Number 40, the end of the line for at least this run of, of Chelly. So, yeah, Chris Abbott and I are going to be chatting all about that, all about the Afro run, all about some uh, Much Ado About Nothing news as well. Uh, so check that out right here on this channel. That's the second podcast I'm in. <laughs> second it's Star Wars podcast. Much about nothing. <laughs> yes. It's funny when she wants uh, to move out much because I'm taking the theater class and we just mentioned that play. Yes. So uh, it's It's in the zeitgeist it's in the zeitgeist um yeah so yeah check that out on this wednesday at 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific we're going to talk about talk about afra um that's all, all we're going to talk about but also the week afterwards uh february 7th 2024 uh yeah star wars podcast day gonna join in the fun we're gonna join the fun by having ethan Sachs on to chat all about bounty hunters all about uh probably galaxy's edge and uh, the the um, uh, Galactic Star Cruiser comic he wrote. Uh, I'll probably I'll probably a little bit of the Django comic. See what he can do. So yeah, that we're excited for. We're gonna make a big push for that. So check that out also right here on the Star Wars Underworld YouTube channel at uh, 9 p.m. Wednesday, February 7th, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Wednesdays are for comics. Comics are for Wednesdays. Uh, so keep that ball rolling. Got to keep that ball rolling. Uh, happy to do so, but. Back to the Ion Cannon podcast. We got this week in Star Wars. Um, Corey, I'll turn it to you. Well, how have you been enjoying Star Wars? What about Star Wars have you been enjoying this week? And uh, yeah, any any thoughts and feels about it? Uh, so this week, I've actually been working on modding some Empire at War, which has dominated my life for about 17 years now. <laughs> uh, so if there's any Empire at War fans out there, we've got a new version of our Clone Wars era mod coming out, which I guess is pretty topical for what we're talking about tonight so uh yeah a lot of battle droids and clone troopers in my life recently no for you my ignorance here that's uh is that an online thing or is that a... that's uh an old rts game okay. so it's in the lineage of your your rebellions to your galactic battlegrounds and empire or my so. childhood yeah yeah but so but it's it's online or is it a board game or is it a like, uh, uh it's a like single player mostly okay 4x game, game like computer you run the empire rebellion or fleets fleet battles army battles it's got a little bit of everything but it's yeah yeah that's pretty fun pretty exciting uh joel what do you think what's 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 going on in star wars for you this week well, this week, I have been doing some thinking in honor of uh, Legends thinking mm -hmm. and uh, how all the canon does or does not work together, depending on who you talk to. Um, and I've been thinking about the one thing that I kind of like about Rise of Skywalker over Dark Empire. <laughs> so you got to understand, I love Dark Empire. First, Dark Empire is like one of my favorite comics. I unabashedly am a Dark Empire stan. Okay, <laughs> I am a big Dark Empire stan. But the thing about Dark Empire is that it has this weird placement in the wider Legends continuity where it's, like, smushed kind of in the middle between the original Thrawn trilogy and then the entire rest of the post-Endor era. Um, and there's a bunch of reasons for that, which we'll probably get into a little bit in later discussion. So, but it, so in the grander scheme of things, it kind of just has this weird feeling of, like, Palpatine comes back, and then he dies, and they come back two more times, and then he dies again. <laughs> And then Luke had a bunch of adventures and the big Yuzong Vong invasion. And then Jason Solo turns evil. And then it's like, it makes Palpatine come back, like, look a, like a little 
blipping the radar. It's like, oh yeah, remember that one time Palpatine came back? We had to defeat him again. That was weird. <laughs> one time. Um, technically, two. Luke was um, like David Bowie. <laughs> yes, David Bowie. <laughs> it was all great. Um, but the thing about Rise of Skywalker that I kind of find interesting is because it's set 30 years after uh, the original trilogy. We're kind of almost retroactively making it like the final crescendo of like the return of the the Empire. Mm-hmm. Like if we include the Mandovers and Aftermath and then the sequels, it's like this interesting arc of like the Empire trying to just come back and its last gasp is with the actual Emperor coming back as a zombie and <laughs> then it gets defeated. I, I don't know. There's just, there, there, I like that one aspect of that over the original Dark Empire in terms of like the wider Legends material um, and how it, it kind of played out. But um, Corey, I'd love to get your thoughts on, on this like kind of look at it because I, I know you're you like Dark Empire. You did podcast. I like on one it. and two. Empire's <laughs> End is a little. I could have lived without Empire's End. That is fair. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. Empire's I mean, End. The uh, Chuck Wendig Empire's End is fantastic. Sorry. <laughs> the, uh, the third comic between yeah. Dark Empire Two and Crimson Empire. But I mean, I think part of that, though, the flip side of it is that it guarantees that those thirty years now have to be stories about the Empire versus the New Republic to some mm. extent. Whereas having it a bit more compressed, like you ended up with in Palpatine coming back in like mm-hmm. 10 or 11 ABY, mm-hmm. then even though you did still get another 15 years of Imperial stories, plus the whole actually the Empire are the good guys now, because <laughs> we've decided that like, I don't know, fascism is sometimes okay, as long as they don't have <laughs> wizard powers while they're doing it. Telling on the good guys. And mm, <laughs> he, he'd like to think that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot more room for more imperial stories, which is we'll see how many of those we end up actually needing. Whether they actually fill that all in or not is separate from the amount of time they have. So that's fair. Yeah. That that is fair. Um, yeah, this is sort of like a very extensive Bantam era. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I I can see that. I can see that. Sort of pick your poison, I guess, a little bit mm-hmm. to some extent. Uh, but no, that's just that's just sort of my thought. Just yeah, I mean, it definitely on, on that that whole what's the trajectory in this time period? They've done a good job. It's only been coming up to four and a half years, five years uh, since you know since Mandalorian, whatever, and since Rise of Skywalker, yeah. uh, of just holding off on too much in terms of cloning and dark arts and all that. Right? They've hinted a little bit everything with Grogu. They've hinted a little bit with Grogu. Hinted a little bit with Mountantis and Omega. And Thrawn uh, and his dark magic. And Thrawn and, and, and mm-hmm. Gideon, but they haven't really done a lot. And they, they're really just just slowly piecing things in, seeding things in, I should say. And what I've said before is that they're not, luckily not going to just be a full-blown, you know, I, I, I'd be surprised if in this season of the Bad Batch, uh, Palpatine says, yes, this uh, this mountain with this clone kid who turns out who's actually a girl clone somehow? Uh, she's force sensitive. She's my plan for eternal life. <laughs> I'd be very surprised, and I'd be very surprised if you know in uh, in Mandalorian Grogu or in the Mandalverse, there's somebody in you know in, in working for the Empire saying yes, this is part of Operation Cinder or rather the contingency or whatever, saying yes, this is our plan to bring Palpatine back. Wink, wink. 
nudge, nudge. You know, I, I'd be very yeah. surprised if they did that, at least uh, not for a long time, not for a few decades. Or That's, decade fair. Or so. That's fair. But, you know, but the thing is, we're supposed to be talking about it. I'm supposed to be on, here on the on, on YouTube saying this is probably something to do with something, you know. <laughs> we get paid for it. I yeah, mean, it's all, all, it doesn't necessarily have to be in a straight line from we're doing this thing now and Palpatine comes back later. It's, a, it's like seven different individual technologies that make like a giant Megatron of Palpatine or <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> giant Megatron. Well, that's great. I love yeah. it. Not Megatron. Anyways, the whatever the Power Rangers made. Oh, yeah. Megazord? Megazord. That's. There we go. A, a Dark Arts cloning. Uh, Matrix Spider in the back, Megazord thing. Great, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it, it's nerdy. It's good. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> there we go. What about you, Matthew? What's your week in Star Wars? Yeah, so uh, not too much. Uh, I found the I got to the episode with the clone trooper in How I Met Your Mother. I always, I always enjoy that fact that instead of just the generic so they so in Barney's apartment, first time we get to Barney's apartment, um. No, this is my mom. I'm on my third rewatch of this show. It's my favorite sitcom ever. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm my third, yeah. And, and they get to Barney's apartment finally. And you know, he calls it a stormtrooper, Lily calls it a stormtrooper, but really, we know it's a 501st phase two 501st clone from uh, that's supposed to be like what we see in uh, you know, Anakin taken on the Jedi Temple in Order 66, right. Revenge of the Sith. Because, I mean, this episode came out in 2006. They're like, no, let's not give a generic Stormtrooper. Let's actually uh, plug the prequels some more. Say, remember, the prequels are actually part of the main story here. Let's uh, let's have that in and infuse that and seed that in again. Um, so that was a, a fun, exciting moment. I always get happy when I come across that. Of course, it's a hilarious show. And if you haven't seen that, and Star Wars fans, that's one of those things, I think, that is definitely Star Wars adjacent. That Star Wars fans should watch uh, all the way through because it's also the last Jedi of sitcoms. It's you think this is what a sitcom is? You think this is what a love story is? Well, too bad it's something else. <laughs> Spoiler-ish alert. But I don't know if either of you, I don't know, Joel, you haven't seen How I Met Your Mother. I have. I'm, I don't know, Corey. Have you seen? Have I, you seen this I have. I, yeah, yeah. I think that clone trooper might not have the happiest fate. Uh, no, I don't. I know he gets replaced by a standard boring old original stormtrooper but uh yeah there you go i did put it <laughs> there we go uh while while we're on it just as a complete tangent without spoiling anything what did you think of the ending of how, how about your brother uh i mean i my friend group had like a bet going on over what was going to happen so i think mm -hmm. most of us kind of knew where that was going except for one who was very in denial and thought <laughs> like something else was going to happen entirely yeah. that's difficult to talk about without just spoiling the yeah. whole show but the I, don't, I think i feel like that show gave me like some sort of existential crisis that lasted for years like that it can't yeah there's yeah it's a, fair i go into that yeah, fair enough. That's yeah, I, I can see that. And that's that's definitely a tangent of a tangent, but <laughs> but like it's an example of like the last Jedi of, of sitcoms where again you think you you think you know how this is gonna turn out and then it doesn't. Um I love it. It's my favorite sitcom ever. Secondly, uh I I'm most of the way I'm about two thirds, three quarters of the way through Galaxy's Edge Black Spire. Uh, I've gotten to the point just past the point where 
this new character named Zade, and he comes into Ogo's cantina, and he, all the all the booths are taken, and so he has to stand at this stupid uh, stand place thing and just lean on it. And, and I related so much. He's like, oh, I should, why can't I just sit down? Because <laughs> when I was in Ogo's cantina after a long day of walking around, uh, walking around Black Sparrow Post, walking around Disneyland. Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted the place to sit down, and I couldn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> all that to say. There, I think to drink maximum. Uh, maybe something like Always. that. <laughs> I, I don't quite remember that, but yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I only have like one, but uh, yeah, at least if they'd given Zeta to drink maximum, then he wouldn't have. Uh, I don't know if, if I would have been able to to spot him at the. Uh, there we go. Um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's just my thought there. Uh, just the same. All my my copy of Escape from Valo, I could go pick it up from Back of Phoenix. I'll probably end up picking that up on Thursday, uh, when when it's when when I have time to go pick it up. Um, yeah, and then I'll I'll take a break from Black Spire and, and just start reading Escape from Valo. It's the the junior grade phase three, so uh, I should be should be okay. Um, to read, read it fairly quickly and then go back into back into Black Spire. Uh, although I have another book coming in, a nonfiction book that should be fun Ooh. as well. That's completely unrelated to anything we talk about here. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, kind of what what I've been up to these lately. Uh, Corey, have you been doing a High Republic at all? Or yeah, I've mostly been reading the all of the adult novels and then uh, a few of the young readers ones, but. There's a bunch of those, and especially the junior ones that I need to go back and actually get to at some point. That's interesting. What's it like just reading the adult novels as opposed to having everything filled out? I mean, I don't feel like there's been anything where I've been unable to follow because of not reading everything, even though I don't have the same context for a lot of what's going on. Like the Drengear plot was kind of yeah. entirely tangential to anything in the adult novels, so I only got that from one of the young reader books that i that i did and i haven't done any of the comics yeah. so like i feel like i've gotten most of the major plot points for the nile at least mm -hmm. yeah that's good to know because i mean that was kind of what they were hoping for was for <laughs> it to be flexible that way and i've heard mixed things about how some for some folks it doesn't seem as flexible i've read everything so you know i, I tend know, to but... find more often than not, the the idea that you're not going to understand if you don't read all of it comes from people who did read all of it. Ah. But I think Star Wars has always been pretty good. Like, look at episode four, where one of the things the original trilogy did really well mm -hmm. is that you're dropped into the story and you have mm -hmm. a clear sense that there's other stuff going on. But the fact that you don't have that other context for these clone wars that Obi-Wan's talking about, or you don't even really know who the rebellion or the empire are, like you're it feels like a lived in universe, but you're not really lacking in the important information for the matter at hand. Empire evil rebellion. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's at that time, but yeah. I mean, it's kind of what I, when I, at New York comic con, I, I bugged Charles soul about uh, his, his image indie comic undiscovered country and how, what happened to Canada in it. Um, and in the premise of undiscovered countries that the U S establishes, wall around the, literally a wall around the country and you cannot get in uh and you can't get out which meant the canada would be completely 
isolated and cut off from the rest of the world, we'd be dead. <laughs> we would yeah. suffer death, probably. Maybe not. I mean, there's other things. You know, there's a whole airborne disease and all that. But anyway, I asked him, so so how's Canada? How, how are we doing? He said, oh, Canada's fine. <laughs> Does, don't worry about Canada. Doesn't matter. Lawrence. Ontario's good. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We, we, got, we got the river from, get, get it from Europe, get it in from Europe. But um, yeah, but just to say, you know, we're stories, a good storyteller, a more an efficient storyteller can give us the information, like Charles Soule <laughs> in Higher Public. Giving us the information we need. That's a good point. So, yeah, that's uh, that's it. Yeah, look, so yeah, I'm looking forward to Escape from Valo. That's by uh, um, Alyssa Wong and Daniel Jose Older. Alyssa has been tweeting every day what what they'd send to uh, Daniel DJO, and uh, it's been fun. A lot of Taylor Swift references. So, <laughs> I'm happy about that. But uh, that's yeah, good. looking forward to picking that up and diving, getting back into Phase Three to Power Public. Um, so we got a little time. Uh, we got a question from the Book of Theory. Quick question. What are your hopes and theories on Bad Batch Season 3? I mean, we did a whole episode um, last week where we just talked about, you know, can't yeah. wait to see what Palpatine's doing. Uh, you know, I hope all the Batch get a good characterization. Uh, Corey, do you want to just anything, hopes, theories for Bad Batch Season 3 while you're here? Well, I've got a wild theory that Ventress is going to come back uh, <laughs> based on, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been saying since the finale of season two, like many others, that Tech is completely fine. Not just alive, like he's completely fine, not really? a scrape on them. And he's just, uh, I mean, the, the trailer has some possible implications for. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, think the, there's a guy who looks like similar proportions to, to Tech. But... Really? Right. Yeah, one of those suits of mind controlledness. So, you know, Tech might come back, but it might not be the way you want. And it's not going to be fun for him. No, he's, he's fine. Like, he's going to walk up. It's going to cut in exactly to where he fell. <laughs> and he's going to be like, oh, where'd everyone go? Oh, well, starts camping, and then eventually they find him again. It's all good. <laughs> yes. That's interesting. I. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I hope they do a good job of that. But I mean, the emotional core where these characters are is seeing him fall to his death. Well, Omega's also in captivity. So even if Tech There's turned that. out to be fine pretty quickly, I think the whole Omega situation is still a pretty big weight on all of them. It is, yes. And hopefully, my hope with Tech gone, as much as he is the best one, okay. I do hope that means that Echo gets some attention that he hasn't had in True. two seasons of the show. Like Hunter took a bit of a backseat as well last season, which didn't mean that mm -hmm. uh, Tech could get some Tech and Wrecker to some extent could get some exposure that they didn't earlier on. But I, it's been good with different characters at different times, but there's never really been a point where all of them felt like they were yeah. all firing on all cylinders and everyone was super present in the story. So I'm, I'm hoping that's something that gets a bit more focus in the third season. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. They haven't, like, yeah, like to just echo, echo, to echo your point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They've all, at different points, there have been different weight, different uh, yeah. depth to each character at different times. It's been hard. It's, it's hard to balance <laughs> all those characters. But I mean, Rebels, they seem to manage it fine. And, and I mean, Clone Wars definitely managed it. But those Clone Wars was maybe four characters, but. Yeah. yeah, like you're always gonna have like this is a tech episode, this is a record episode, and like yeah. they might be leads in a different way in different episodes. But it's more that it was like a full season of 
you're only getting Hunter right now, and then a full season of you're yeah. only getting uh, Tech and Wrecker right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, they, they got to answer. Well, they got to. They're going to give Omega even more character, and that's the one exception to this is that she's had always had yeah. more depth. I mean, like Ahsoka, like Ezra, right? She's yeah. like uh, like Kaz. She's the the main character and happens to be a younger character, which. This is part of the course for Star Wars, so yeah. But I definitely get what you're saying. It'll be, it'll be nice to see if the rest of those characters, if we can. I mean, yeah. If Tech comes back, what does that do to all the other characters? How do they respond? Um, how does Crosshair, even Crosshair, coming back? So I hope Crosshair gets out first and just has some time with the batch before. If in case they do kill him, at least he can have like a little bit of atonement before if he dies instead of just. <laughs> I'm gonna throw the imp. I'm gonna throw no Doctor Doctor Hemlock off the rail, and now I'm dead. But Joel, Star Wars doesn't give uh, bad characters uh, time to atone. It's not what yeah, they I, do. It's not what I, I know, <laughs> but uh, I'm serious. I hope. No, I, hope I, I agree. It should be. It should be good. Should be good. I, I, yeah. Crosshair has been kind of refreshing in that way, where like mm-hmm. Alphabet Squad did that really well. Mm-hmm. Bad Batch is doing it pretty well now with what they've done with Crosshair so far. Everywhere else, it's just like ontological good and evil that you flop between and then you're i guess if you throw one guy down a shaft to save your son then suddenly everything you've ever done is fine and he's going to tell everyone that you're actually a kind of okay guy but i'm just happy you use the word ontological (laughs) (laughs) like i never thought i'd hear that (laughs) there you go the 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 philosophy of being I mean, I mean, Corey, we still haven't seen Force Ghost Anakin go to Luke and complain that Leia hasn't forgiven oh him because he did the that, thing. That scene is... We're talking about Legends book. Matthew, oh, you're great. wondering. That's great. That's how Legends handled Ghost Anakin. That's, I just gotta deal with something. The with best that. part of that is, like, it's five minutes after the Battle of Endor, essentially. Like, the book, Truce of Bakura, is set immediately after the Battle of Endor. And Vader is already sort of Anakin is already coming to Luke using his first time back on the Force Ghost phone. Like right. uh, Leia's, Leia's still mad at me, and she <laughs> won't take my calls. It's a whole <laughs> other okay. year. So he's back to Attack of the Clones, Anakin is what we're saying here. Yeah, like it actually turned out to be very in character for the Anakin we saw in the prequels, but it. I mean, that's, I mean, again, that's why I love Ahsoka. I feel like Ahsoka, like, did it right. It's like, first time we see Force Ghost Anakin on screen. Uh, but we'll get to that. But yeah, I think with that, let's get to our main topic, shall we? The prequel effect on the EU. So, um, yeah, so the prequels. Those, those three films in the 90s. Remember remember those? George Never seen them. What are we talking about? The early 2000s. See, yeah. I just called them the first part of the main calls. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, so for almost a decade, you know, Star Wars had been living off its books and comics, building itself with like a post-Endor era and a little bit of a, 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 a Tales of Jedi era, like 5,000 years in the past. So Star Wars lore had been expanding and expanding for a while, and different authors like a, a Mr. Tim Zahn, Mr. Timothy, um, you know, came Mr. in T. with his came mm-hmm. in with, with his, this blue guy of his, and you know, Tom Veitch came and all that good stuff, and they kind of had their own takes on Star Wars, what what these were, what the Clone Wars were, all this good stuff, 
And then eventually Lucas comes in. It's like, well, I don't care about any of that. I'm going to do my way. I'm going to make, I'm going to tell the story of Anakin falling dark side. <laughs> going to start at 11 year old. I say so. And nine year old, nine year old. I'm sorry, 11. Nine, I'm sorry, nine year old. <laughs> Um, and you know, gave his own takes on the the world of Star Wars, and because of that, well, you know, a lot of books had to had to shift, had to change course. And even though I have this lower notes, I guess that I can actually start with this question. And Corey is sort of our as as I consider you a chronicler of the history of Star Wars multimedia, uh, a, a expert, a researcher. Um, I'm gonna have to ask, how come? They didn't do what they did when new canon came along, which I mean, just Disney era, right. when they just not reboot the EU again and just kind of start off fresh to kind of have everything match up a little bit more. I, I kind of feel like I have an answer myself. I'd love to hear your thoughts on why they didn't mm-hmm. go this direction instead, just continue to press on with NGO and stuff. I think there's two primary reasons for that. The first is that they'd already established this soft or pretty hard rule of. Mm-hmm. Nobody writes a story in that period, even though they had mm-hmm. like references to exactly what they were saying was going on at that point. So mm-hmm. how hard of a rule was that really? But because there weren't any stories that were directly in that other than you could you could say maybe some of the Marvel comics were claiming they were in that because of the <laughs> very weird timeline with that. But nothing was explicitly this is a clone war story right now mm-hmm. and i think the second reason is probably the most important and it's that there wasn't the same feeling that all these stories had to be part of one continuity yet so the mm-hmm. that strengthened more as you got into the early 2000s late like 2010 so by that point when everyone expects like these are all stories in the star wars universe so it should all be one story and continuity is that much more important. Not that it mm-hmm. didn't exist, just that it wasn't, the emphasis wasn't there in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like George never really felt bound by them, partially as a result of that. It wasn't just a mm-hmm. uh, a unique trait of George. Like you look at any mm-hmm. other franchise and this was a very rare thing to have mm-hmm. all these different types of media telling the same story. Yeah. So there, the pressure just wasn't there to have it be that consistent. That that's fair, yeah. And you know, I, I can kind of see like, kind of, kind of what, what we kind of got later on because I have a lot of those essential chronology books and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And essential guide to warfare, where it's like, you can say like, oh, you know, after Endor, the Thrawn campaign happened, and you know, that's how it connects back to the prequels. And then you know, it's like, but then you actually read the Thrawn campaign because we're talking about the Clone Masters, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like, yeah, Clone Wars happened fifty years beforehand. Now, that doesn't make sense, but mm-hmm. um. Matthew, did you want to add something? Well, just, uh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they had all those levels of canon, like G canon, A canon, and mm-hmm. Q canon, and Z canon, and whatever. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to note, you know, they try even just in new canon, uh, whatever, the, after the changeover, just how much they tried to keep it up. And even then, it's now iffy, right? That they just kind of stay in their own lane. Yeah, it's a similar kind of thing where, to your first explanation, right, where uh, books and comics are just not allowed to touch certain time periods that they're hopefully planning, Lucasfilm was thinking of writing into and talking about. Um, But yeah, I mean, now that there's, it it is an interesting difference that there was the attempt of tie-in material, that there also isn't that much anymore either. So yeah, uh, I mean, your explanation makes sense. Right. I mean, 
what the but what I do notice, and what I, what I do think maybe you're going to get into this a little bit, um, you know, Joel, you you mentioned uh, I think we were talking beforehand, or was it the beginning of this podcast? I don't remember. It was sometime half an hour ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah, about the the Republic comics and how I think you know with um, I mean uh, Shadows of the Empire, and then with Republic comics in you know, as storytelling, as this gets opened up, and again, I think we're going to get into this, as things get opened up, you know, 1999, George says, yeah, you can start telling these stories, the Tartakovsky story, Clone Wars, all that. Then we do have a sense of this is sort of tying into things. Right. Um, even then, George isn't bound by it, but <laughs> he's going to do what he wants, but there's still, I mean, maybe, yeah, there's there's that communication now established between say Lucas of licensing and what George is doing this go between between what George is doing and the authors can do that eventually of course becomes the story group but that wasn't the case at all in the 90s right even there again the shadows of the empire but there wasn't a film it was all one equal thing so um, right um, yeah so it's almost to say it, it wasn't just that they so the, it's not that they didn't do the switchover, but they did add, I think, my sense at least, because Republic Comics, because even Dark Times fits in well, um, that they did bring in something relatively new. Yeah, and I guess we can talk into the next part, which is kind of the, the top. Um, you know, what sorry if you hear sounds, there's a helicopter going over my house. All good, all good. Um, <laughs> yikes. um, you know, what, what was sort of, I guess, back to 1999, like what were kind of the the state of what we call on Ion Can, we call Paper Can, which is anything that's not TV or uh, movies. Um, because, you know, and you've talked about this on your podcast, how, you know, best in the 90s, comics and uh, books didn't always like to get along. You know, that's the Dark Empire Thrawn trilogy kind of, kind of rivalry going on there, um, where, you know, they kind of didn't always communicate with one another, which is something I think a lot of younger uh, book fans or just book comic fans might you know not be aware of like because i feel like the, the the book and comic side are a lot more intertwined and a lot more of a mm -hmm. lot more of a cohesive unit so Corey, what yeah. was like what was like the build-up to that and what was sort of like the state of it in 1999 where like they were we finally starting to see them coming together a lot more as things got a lot more cohesive at least on the non-film side of things I mean, it's always been a little funny to me that like Timothy Zahn's obviously like one of the Star Wars greats and he's one of the ones that would get held up by a lot of people that are very uh, continuity centric. Mm -hmm. But as an author, he's probably one of the ones that is least interested in doing that. Like the reason <laughs> that the Thrawn trilogy is set before Dark Empire is because when asked to include stuff from Dark Empire, he was like... No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Uh, and he's always kind of viewed his books as their own kind of thing. So he tries to make them uh, more consistent with each other between both canon and legends and cares a bit less about what anyone else is doing in either of those. Mm -hmm. So like there, I, I think it gets exaggerated a little bit, but there was always some like, tension that fans would reference between different groups of Bantam writers because Bantam had the license in the 90s where like you had the shipping wars where <laughs> like Zan and Stackpole and Alston would be on one side and they're the ones that are doing like Luke and Mara. But then you have the children of the Jedi side of things and there's Callista over there. And like 
Mara gets retconned as having just been undercover with Lando rather than undercover with Lando. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. 99, like right as the prequels were coming out, you started to see more of an idea that like, oh, let's have these tell one bigger story. And that's when you get the new Jedi Order mm -hmm. and like the license switches over to Del Rey. Mm -hmm. They want to have a big publishing push. So you started to get more of these projects where there is this idea of like, let's tell one connected thing. And that's kind of just yeah. what NJO ended up being. Yeah. And, you know, if, if uh, me and Matthew talked ad nauseum of Tim Zahn's Zonisms, as I call them. This is Zonisms. Zonisms. Yeah. And I mean, that explains the, so much. The two thrones. Sorry, the two, no, and the two thrones. And like, yeah. well, no, go ahead, Matthew. I'm sorry. Go well, ahead. just say, yeah, I explained so much how he's just, or just a way of putting it, how he's just not interested in what other people are doing. I mean, in order to play ball and to get back into canon, he had to incorporate stuff from Rebels. Um, but then he goes off and writes his Ascendancy trilogy, right? So yeah. just to say that there's this pattern that it feels so different. You know, even right until last Wednesday, we got the, the Thrawn Alliance's tie-in. And that felt it, it distinctive. And to, to his credit, it's a distinctive voice, very distinctive voice that has a pretty uh, solid corpus, especially with Legends. But anyway, he has six canon novels now too. Um, but how, yeah, it just, it feels so out there and disconnected from everything that we, we know as Star Wars. And that's not, again, necessarily a bad thing. It's just, I mean, for those of us who like to fit things together and see how things are in conversation with each other, and it does raise, it, it's, it's a little iffy, but then definitely the deeper questions of, you know, like, you know, is Pelion a good guy? Is, you know, like we're saying, is, is, uh, is can we cheer for Thrawn or not? I and mean, it's easier. <clears throat> that's another big thing in, E, the EU in Legends, of course, Thrawn is still a villain, uh, like he is in Rebels. Whereas in uh, the canon trilogies, he, he's kind of this protagonist, sort of. So, yeah, it, it's it's funny. It's just a, again, I mean, the thing I think what I'm going to be doing a lot tonight is just kind of comparing what happened then to what is now, and it, it is interesting to see with Zon how um, back then. He was doing his own thing, but that was definitive of what a lot of paper Star Wars storytelling was. Yeah. Whereas now he's doing his own thing. He is bringing things in. You know, I mean, he talked like, yeah, we're getting this comic adaptation of this Anakin Vader Padme story. Uh, that's also a Thrawn story. Um, that, that, and then, you know, the fact that kind of weaving in and around Rebels, yet because we have the sense of everything else has happened on paper too. It is so different and off and out there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tricky. And, and we haven't been, I don't know if we've been as generous or charitable to him, but oh, and we could, we could be critical. It's fine. He can handle it. But <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's Zonisms. It is interesting. Yeah. I love, I love. It's, it's sort of funny. Um, I might get some flack by certain people who say this, mm -hmm. for to say this. Um, and it's not, totally one-to-one -one because he's only done two Star Wars stories. Um, and there's a little bit of a difference, obviously. But, um, you know, Tim Don is kind of a little like J.J. Abrams that way, that, you know, mm. he kind of does his own thing. Although it's a little different, but it's not at the same time. Um, yeah. Where it's like, he kind of not kind of bothering with what everybody else is doing. Uh, but it's like in a different sort of sense. Um, 
it's it's a it's an interesting comparison for sure. But um, well, here's the thought then: yeah. is if there is a parallel, and I'm going to go there. I don't mean this this way. <laughs> I mean, J.J. Abrams. You know, so I talked about how J.J. You know how how they tried to make things everything connect, but again, J.J. just did his own thing, kind of like what George Lucas did, right? He's all That's I'm going to tell my stories. There's all this paper stuff happening. I'm not going to read it. That's fine. Uh, Chris Terrio, you can go ahead and read it if you want, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, it's a. There's maybe the parallel there to say. Though I mean, that's the thing. I, over the last two years, I've finally had come to is that the economics of the movie industry is so much bigger than the book industry. That the power of it and the power of storytelling is going to be such that you know you have to have someone like leslie headland to say i'm actually reading these novels and i actually mm -hmm. care mm -hmm. what well, happened so you especially but, look at when zan started when all of them started really there were so many books that were released in such a short period of time it was a bunch of mercenaries coming in and they described themselves like that to write these novels you read the uh the acknowledgments i think on the Corellian trilogy and they were written in like three months on train rides. Like none of the, yeah. there wasn't the expectation that they'd connect, and a lot of the authors wouldn't have read each other's stuff. And even now, there's just, it's always such a big volume work mm -hmm. that like the authors, for the most part, there are some that are like diehard fans and they're going to read everything, but that's not possible for everyone. Not everyone's James so, Lucino. Yeah. <laughs> So a lot of them have like their other franchises they're working on. And like Zahn has his own work mm -hmm. outside of Star Wars that he's working on. So it's not like he goes out of his way to ruin what other people are doing. No. But his preference is to tell his stories with his characters. And I, I think like his interpretation of Thrawn over the years has changed in ways that's impossible for anyone else to be consistent with. Because like in Legends, he was also going the direction of like, oh, well, Thrawn's actually a good guy already. And he's re-becoming the greatness he never wasn't. And it it's a whole thing <laughs> there, but the uh, like Matthew Stover is probably my favorite Star Wars author. In just like he hasn't done as many Star Wars books, but they're pretty much all great as Star Wars books and as books. Mm -hmm. But even he and in his interviews will say like he's coming in. I'm doing a Star Wars, but also read all my other stuff because I'm here for. Like this is how I get my name out there essentially. Yeah. And for yeah, him, for <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. for him, it was like, he'll mostly do, this is my character X book. So he has his Mace Windu book, his Jason book, his uh, like episode three novelizations, the Anakin and Obi-Wan book. So if he's going to do research into stuff, it's going to be like a kind of a deep dive into one character rather than caring as much mm. about the universe around it. And he'd do a character study. So like, I think it really does vary from author to author on how much they're going to research, how much it's reasonable to expect for their topic that they could research and mm -hmm. how much like they're going to pull from other universe elements to make their story. Yeah. But what's interesting though, about, about that is during the prequels, again, that's when the kind of the big publishing, the first real, well, I guess Shadow of the Empire is the first one, but the even bigger publishing kind of initiatives, I consider New Jedi Order a publishing initiative, um, happens. That's when New Jedi Order starts. That's when the multimedia project starts, um, funny enough. Um, and, you know, 
uh, it's, it's a little sick. I mean, you know, this is kind of the, I would like to call it almost like the, the proto to higher public, which I think at this point is probably the biggest publishing initiative they've done. Um, and also probably the one that probably been, like, I guess on like, regardless of how like, do you feel about it, like, objectively, I would have to say almost the most successful because, I mean, A, it's getting a TV show and Acolyte. Yeah. Um, but um, just in terms of like how much you can tell Lucasfilm, the studio, are kind of supporting it. Um, compared to NGO, which sadly kind of gets abandoned after it finishes. There are certain plot points that get dropped. Um, but Corey, I'll guess I go to you. Was was this always the direction we were heading, regardless of the prequels of these kind of big initiatives, or what? Did the prequels help this kind of like okay, Star Wars is coming back in a big way. We need to come back in a big. We need to start pumping ourselves up for big thing. Star Wars is going to be back in the theaters and gonna have all eyes on us um in terms yeah, of I, NGO and stuff i'm sure the prequels coming was a big force behind njo being able to get off the ground like i don't know how long star wars would have been able to go as just a pure book and occasional game series like it, it would always have some level of popularity but mm -hmm. the i don't think you would have had projects of that scale if there wasn't the expectations that the movie might come out and really bump those numbers up like i don't think it's a coincidence that that's when that happened mm -hmm. i mean the money <laughs> they yeah, have money yeah. to do it <laughs> that? Yeah. yeah but you know i think we've talked about you know just not every author can do the research but i guess matthew in terms of just the high republic yeah i wonder if that just makes high republic the exception not the rule because that is a initiative that is a Higher public or higher public book, but it's right. in within the confines of a singular thing. So it's kind of like you kind of have to do the research because well, it's more all than of just them... research. Like they don't need to research. They're they're talking. They're literally talking to each other. Yeah. And they're on. They literally have a Slack chat. Um, but you, I mean, you can tell someone like George Mann coming in that he had read all of Phase One mm -hmm. for sure. <laughs> you know, uh, you can tell that. But that being said, you know, with what we've talked about before, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe even a year ago or two. There's, there is a discipline of continuity, a harmony of continuity within paper canon that has has actually held pretty consistently and pretty firm. And so, it, you know, even, you know, if anything, you know, you'd have an author who maybe not necessarily have read everything, authors who haven't necessarily read everything, but, mm -hmm. you know, at the very least, they'll read enough of, say, this character with this circumstance at the very least story group is going to say, well, you know, this, you know, that, but I, I think even just the way stories get developed in paper canon now that a lot of them. Yeah. So some of you see something on screen, you see Kira on screen and Charles soul. So going to write a, a crossover event involving her. And also that's another interesting example of, of, of a team coming together the, they probably literally had a Slack chat too with uh, with Greg Pak yeah. and Alyssa Wong and them. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, and Ethan Sachs and Charles Soule, et cetera. Uh, so there's those conversations. I mean, I don't know. I, I wonder if, like, they wouldn't call themselves mercenaries anymore. They'd say there's a lot of mutual support, a lot of wanting to know what their colleagues are doing, wanting to know what their friends are doing. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Um, yeah, I will. I will say, but well, all that to say then to maybe go back to your question, 
it makes if that pushes up this level of just just collaboration conversation mm-hmm. because both because they want to and because the story group is going to make them um <laughs> how much more is this high republic thing right just this this unifying ongoing collective Corey, you want to respond? Uh, you know, that well, that yeah. has really brought everything together so nicely. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, collaborative storytelling. Because I guess NJ, NJO, was that just a single author or was that just? Oh, no. It was, a, it was yeah. a, it was multiple authors. Okay. Yeah. So it was kind of, I think it is a good comparison to look at how they both work because <laughs> I think like High Republic does show how it's evolved. Because now it's, it is within each phase, you have multiple authors telling kind of the same story. Whereas mm-hmm. with the New Jedi Order, you were bringing together a lot of the authors that had written Star Wars books on their own before and a bunch of new ones, mm-hmm. but it was still very segmented. So they had like the, the story summits when they were starting and that included uh, Del Rey authors and it actually included Dark Horse as well. Uh, but I think the fact that Dark Horse didn't get included in their invasion storyline that they had pitched and only wrote the invasion comics nine years later because they felt kind of jilted by how the process had gone and that they weren't involved in this and like telling their version of the story. Uh, Like it it clearly wasn't as connected as you'd have with high Republic now with the comics and books and even the TV show kind of being in the same realm. Uh, But if you look at the NJO books, there's 19 of them. There's like some that are standalone, some that are duologies, trilogies, but like every book has a very different tone. There's still the through line of like Luke and Leia and then the solo kids but it's a lot of like a prior Star Wars author coming back to tell the story of what their character is doing in this period. So you have like the the Corin books, you have the Wedge books. Uh, obviously, Wedge wasn't invented by any of the <laughs> authors, but like X-wing authors were coming back to write about their Rogue Squadron characters and Race Squadron characters, or like you had some of the new new authors coming in and they're telling like the force heretic stories and they're touching a bit on what other people had done, but it really was a lot of this is one story. Then we're going to jump to the next story. Then we're going to jump to the next. Whereas in high Republic, you have everyone telling uh, whatever the major plot line is you're having within a duology or trilogy for the adult novels in a phase or within the young, young reader series, you're getting a lot more collaboration and telling the same story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that being said, there there is what we've said too. You know, that there are certain characters that authors are picking up through yeah. the whole thing. But I, I mean, yeah, they, it maybe it isn't. It isn't as. Would you say that NJO was was more more segmented that way? It was more like yeah. there's more. Uh, I'm not sure what the word would be. Not firewall, but uh, yeah, just discrete like. This author will only write these books, these this character. Whereas, if a, a high republic author, another high republic author wants to pick up on this character, and they can and they will. Yeah, like with with high republic, I feel like you could read the phases individually, and you'd get a story within that phase, whether yeah. it's the junior no- or the young adult novels versus the adult novels, and like each of those will tell a story that's still a little segmented because it's like it's a plot. Whereas in NJO, you'd have that being done by one person and then the next person takes over. It's more like a relay race than a real collaborative. We're all telling different sections of this story together. Mm -hmm. 
Well, as you know, to quote to my buddy, to our buddy Dan Grievous, got the wild card himself, Mr. George Lucas, and kind of go back to the original topic, you know, kind of to go back to what we said, yes, I don't think they need to reboot the EU and to just tell New Jedi Order, but how New Jedi Order certainly develops is affected by the prequels. Um, because obviously George is giving the backstory, well, you know, the, what the world galaxy was like before the original right. trilogy, with, you know, and he's kind of telling us, here, here's what the Jedi are like. Here's Anakin Skywalker, so we can't have Anakin Solo. Um, that's always an, that's an interesting story. Like, you know, here, here's even, like, the philosophies of mm-hmm. Star Wars. And, um, of course, I guess since you're reading it, you know, and you've talked about it a little bit on your podcast as well, as as you've gone on through New Jedi Order, I don't want to make it just about New Jedi Order, obviously, but kind of that's sort of the biggest effect. Do you kind of see those prequel influences in terms of like, oh, those, the philosophies that maybe George is bringing in with like the force and stuff are coming in. And like, you know, obviously the big one I remember is like the Jedi, Luke's Jedi are starting to look more and more like the prequel Jedi in terms of like, now we wear the, now we do wear the brown robes and we got our <laughs> council temple on Coruscant um, before it gets blown up. And, you know, kind of just even the mood of it kind of changes as well. Now that we kind of have to get the prequels, I think also kind of affect the tonal, the kind of the tonal arc of Star Wars in a little bit, but you know, what are your what are your take on that in terms of just well, New Jedi Order and maybe the EU it, itself? If you wanted to expand beyond New Jedi Order, um, yeah. So the the New Jedi Order is interesting because it's releasing at the exact same time as the Phantom Menace and Attack mm-hmm. of the Clones. And I'd asked one of the authors, I think it might have been Troy Denning, whether they'd gotten any kind of access to prequel information while they were writing. And what he said was no, like uh, they were finding out about stuff in theaters the same way everyone else was. Cause there's one of the opening battles feels a lot like, uh, like the opening battle in vector prime feels a lot like the battle of Naboo. Mm-hmm. And so it made me think like maybe there was a tie in there. Uh, but like the, the Jedi order is the authors are learning about it at the same time as the audience is at the same time as Luke is in the book. So you can kind of, Right. see that through line of Luke figuring out more about the Jedi or getting access to information that he's found out about the Jedi that had been <laughs> lost for the ages because no one knew before the movies had come out. So it, right. like, if you're looking for that connection, like it's very much there mm-hmm. in because like the idea of like the Jedi just going around the galaxy as these kind of lone master apprentice pairs is how the, or even just individuals is how the, njo starts but then you get the more organized like luke's in charge we've got the temple we've got uh like formally we're organized under luke now and yeah so i don't think they got to revenge of the sith and i don't think they had any information from revenge of the sith but like everyone kind of knew what was going to happen in revenge of the sith so once they had that information from attack of the clones and seeing the jedi order there it all kind of came together for them right and you know i think one of my favorite is actually something after after New Jedi Order was Swarm, I think it's Swarm War, maybe Swarm War, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, now Luke finds out about what happened on Mustafar and his dad. Like, R2, R2 finally showed him the recordings after 30 years. So funny. It's like, surprise, now you find out. <laughs> this is what your dad looked like 30, when he was younger. It's like this is Caden Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Matthew, would you like to? No, it's just uh, just funny. That must have been a funny reading experience in the, in, in real time. It's like. It's, it's like, kind of dark. 
But yeah, not yeah. even just because you see the dad choke his mom. That's pretty dark as oh, well. Sure. Yeah. But like R2 has like a corrupted memory unit. And the whole plot is it he's like Luke is trying to find someone who can unlock it. Yeah. And the whole time they're like, oh, if I do this, R2 could just get completely fried. And there's like an angry Luke saying, do it. Why are you hiding? It's, he's very, Luke gets very aggro in those later periods. <laughs> it's, yeah. And people say, like, no. uh, it's hashtag not my Luke Skywalker. There we go. Uh, I, I was just going to say, it was just a funny, it seems like a funny reading experience of, um, you know, we find out this thing, we see this movie in 2005, and then Luke's like, oh, turns out. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that that must have been, uh, I mean, I don't know if any of us had this, ex- I didn't because I'm too young. I don't know about you, Corey, if you didn't. I know, Matthew, you don't you didn't read a lot of legends, but like having that experience of like reading Bantam in the nineties and then kind of watching like, you know, you're going to kind of read like you kind of hear about the Clone Wars, that version of the Clone Wars. Right. And then at the actual Clone Wars come out, you're actually starting to see it kind of affect your book with New Jai Order, which is also kind of one of the well, one of many weird reasons people kind of jumped off of uh of the EU after that. I mean, I don't I, I like it all. It's fun. But um you know, I guess Corey you could talk about. Did, did, do you think the prequels also affected the tone of the post at the post Endor EU? And I talk a lot about the post Endor EU a lot uh, because I feel like that's the one I feel like you can see the effect of. I mean, maybe a little bit with the old Republic stuff going on at the time, but it's like the post Endor EU with like you know you got your battle, your Warlord of the Week as we used to call it, as we call it, and then New Jai mm-hmm. comes, but just the tone darkens because the prequels tones is kind of changing Star Wars as well overall. It's a little bit more bombastic, obviously mm. with Revenge of the Sith being the most operatic of all of them. Mm. So, like, do, do you think that was a bit... Do you think if prequels had not happened, NGOs, like, tonally would have gone a different route? No, I, I think the, the tone in NGO ended up a lot darker than the prequels, especially when, like, most of them were written with just the Phantom Menace, which even though we know Vader is going to, or Anakin's going to be Vader, like it's a, it's a fairly light movie. Like there's a lot of Jar Jar going around. Like it's the most clearly oriented towards like having a stand in, at least for the kids. Uh, We're like, they're all kids movies, but this is the one where there's like Anakin and Jar Jar, the ones that are there for the audience to really as children. to like, Oh, this is, this is me doing this adventure or look at the, look at the Mm -hmm. silly swamp monster guy. And like, that one's not super dark yet. Then you get a lot darker in episode two. But by then, I think Anakin had already been killed. Like Anakin Solo had already been killed. And like there'd already been PTSD Han after Chewbacca's death, mm-hmm. which was like Han just becomes an alcoholic and abandons his family for six books. And it's like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I think they were going as dark as they could at that point because it was still like the idea of like oh there's stakes now compared to the bantam books like no one ever really dies if anyone's gonna die it's gonna be character that just got introduced like han luke leia and their best friend johnny who's been with them for (laughs) oh we go way back oh no johnny's been killed and then they go back yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, with chewbacca dying and then anakin dying like they really wanted to just they had a tone they seemed to know they wanted to go for yeah yep red you're right Crick's main dean was probably the biggest death back in those days um you know i've been thinking about it um i feel like kind of looking at it now just kind of like from historical 
I feel like then kind of post the prequels is when you start to see a little bit more of the effects of, I guess I call it prequelization of the <laughs> EU even more so. Because obviously, you know, you got the Swarm War stuff with, you know, Luke. But you also kind of look at, I look at sort of like the Old Republic stuff. Yeah, KOTOR came out, I think, 2001? Am I 2002? When Sorry, KOTOR uh, 1. Yeah. When did KOTOR 1 come out? Um, probably around that. One of them. Yeah, 102, because a little bit after Phantom Menace. And obviously, you're starting to see, like, aesthetically, you know, like, oh, 2002. Thank you, Red. Yeah, 2002. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You start to see the, um, you know, like the the Star Destroyers look a little, but it's still there's a little bit of a, of a, you know, lot original design, and then you get to like post the prequels 2008 with the Old Republic MMO, and then it's like, oh, we just got clones in the past now, and the yeah. this yeah. Empire is just the Empire with more Darth Vader's running around. So, do you think kind of, in a weird way, it wasn't really during the prequels that we saw, I guess, prequelization. But more like afterward, where it's like, okay, now we got the whole prequels. Let's go nuts. Uh, was just that kind of aesthetic, and obviously merchandising. Jedi versus, merchandising. <laughs> yeah, Jedi versus Sith again with Jason <laughs> Solo going dark side. But what, what do you think, Corey? Spaceballs. <laughs> yeah, the prequels. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's just the the aesthetics of the prequels were how you sold things at that point. Like once you're into Episode Three, mm. like 2006 to. 2009 that's kind of everything's hitting it's tried people want jedi people want clone troopers mm. you're going all in on anything that has those aesthetics whereas njo was like right before then mm-hmm. so you start getting more of that in kotor 2s coming out with that like kotor 1 had the the jedi as the big thing everyone always loves jedi but then with tor it very much is here's some imperial and mm-hmm episode three aesthetics everyone come play this game that lets you be yeah. a jedi please <laughs> it works it yeah, works for i mean yeah it makes okay. sense right and, and yeah. kind of pick up what you're saying Corey. you know that it developed this interest the george just does a great job i would say of developing this interest of what the jedi were about and i, I mean now no i think authors and, and video game designers and authors were were, were chomping at the bit to finally get in and sink their teeth into this but mm-hmm. yeah it, that, that there was an appetite for it an attitude uh, 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 appeal to it that george developed this interesting thing oh they have this organization oh they have this more just more time with meditating on what the force is you see what qui-gon is able to do uh just even before his duel with maul for example you see uh you see yoda and mace windu chatting you know chatting about you know the to a dark place and you know a sense of plot to destroy the jedi and how the force can actually de- give mace windu that sense of a plot to destroy the jedi you see the relationship between the jedi and the republic right you see i mean all these things i love right you see um you know how how both organized and how political the jedi get and yet you also see Obi-Wan, you know, to be to be fair, and Joel to continue to hear your criticism of my criticism in my head. You you see them actually doing their best in this difficult situation. Um everything you know, yeah, we could talk about before you know, the expectations, the weight of expectations going into the prequels, but afterwards you see everything we had kind of hoped for and imagined, maybe. With me, with with Obi Wan in the hut, with Luke, 
we actually see it. And so, okay, let's actually get more stories that explore this and delve into this. So, I mean, I think that kind of gets it in jail a little bit that, that they wanted to actually bring that back and tell more of that. Um, yeah, it gets it all the old Republic storytelling where there is that organization, those institutions and, and that let's talk. And, and it, we're at a time we're time in real world history where we're really starting to talk about the complications of religious institutions, right? Uh, you know, just after the Bush administration, all everything going on in the zeitgeist there and how, you know, okay. I mean, I think with, with KOTOR, for example, with the, the comic, the, the uh, JJM comic, how the Jedi are, are kind of kind of iffy, kind of wonky, not not terribly villainous, but like in the prequels, they're 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 kind of kind of morally gray. I won't say gray Jedi, but they're morally gray. Um, and, and again, like I said, on, on both sides of things, and yeah, it definitely the, the appetite was there. Uh, I don't know if we got any sort of full on, I guess, creamsicle Jedi slash, uh, you know. Like like what we thought kind of Mace Windu was, but not really. Yeah, it, it makes sense. It makes sense that they finally able to explore these things again. I think you know the Republic. I haven't read much of the Republic comics, but that dark when Dark Horse was able to finally was able to really go in. It's from two thousand two to two thousand five and tell the story of the Clone Wars, uh, and, and that those were those were successful comic books, right? Uh, oh yeah, you know, and and, and there's a reason they they continue. It became the Star Wars run. It became it was the Star Wars run. The, the renamed Republic. It became uh, Dark Times. I mean, that that really fascinating question that I love. And Dark Times is one of my favorite stories of all time. Dark Times. I mean, Dark Times entirely depends on the prequels to exist, right? Exactly. <laughs> Completely, or else we don't know what's going on. Um, and to say it opens up and the fact that that created the appetite for that story and not just not just the story details but the interest for it um we see what it really picks up what george laid down in uh in revenge of the sith especially with with obi-wan uh i'd be curious if you've researched this or not but what was the Dark Horse relationship with, like, at that time with the Republic comics? Because, and I've heard some f tales about this with, like, um, uh, one of my friends on in, within the chat right now, um, talk about, like, you know, obviously they had to know something because obviously General Grievous is in there. Hmm. I saw Adventures from the Tartakovsky uh, series is in there. And Grievous is also in the Tartakovsky, right? Yeah, I mean, the Grievous hmm. is there too. Um, was it just the comics more going off of just what Tartakovsky was doing, even though when we get to episode three, Grievous is like a not, is kind of like, you know, I'm out of here, you know, kind of a he's coward and runs and hides. Um, kind of more mustache twirly villain compared to some of the stuff like Labyrinth of Evil and even the Conqueror, kind of more of a very deadly, deadly opponent. Do, do, what do you, do you know, like, what was sort of the relationship between George and the comics there? Or they were just kind of working off like, yeah. basic notes grievous droid general here you go yeah i don't really know what the what they would have been privy to at that point or how much they were tied into any other production notes that george would have had it's like there, there's some connection with the mmp that they like george wanted certain things to happen but then the uh, the rest of it is just whatever they came up with with for the mmp and then we know that some of those authors 
like directly in the multimedia projects were only so involved. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how much of that was just like, oh, this is what's available right now. We're going to work with that too, versus we're going in and actually planning to work with this in some connected way. I really know. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, that just always interests me as well. And you know, there's kind of a kind of a feeling. Even early 2008 Clone Wars wanted to work more into that before it kind of gave up. Um, and I want to, you know, I'm not going to start the whole 28 sure. 2008 versus Dark Horse stuff, but you know, sort of because at the end of the day, like you always say, Corey, even the book decided, you know what, uh, let's just put the 2008 Clone Wars stuff in some of our books. Like you got Callista and Ahsoka meeting each other, which is kind of yeah. cool. Um, which is I, which I think is neat. Um, you know, Matthew, you're talking about the Jedi. Uh, you know, another big thing I think that really affected the prequels was the Sith. At last, mm. we shall have our moment of franchise money making. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah Rex was going to be that alpha character from uh, the from one of the Dark Horse comics. Fun fact. Um, I just think with Grievous and Asajj, though, like anytime you have an opportunity to have someone fight someone with a lightsaber, everyone wants to jump on that. So, like, it's not surprising that they would especially really capture people's imagination. But, like, getting the balance between, like, oh, we're exploring the Jedi's philosophy, yeah, we would, but also, have you considered lightsaber battles? Have you considered lightsaber Aren't they battles? so cool? <laughs> Four arms. Like, the reason why there's, like, in the space of what, three years, you get three Jedi purges happening in every possible published medium oh. for really because you have like it sort of happens in njo where the vong want them but it definitely happens in legacy it definitely happens in kotor too even though it happens off screen kind of then you have yeah. like the ep like the jedi purge in episode three so like at every yeah. possible period they're talking about there is a jedi purge that involves yeah. guys with lightsabers fighting other guys with lightsabers so is that concerning is that was that disappointing at the time because i mean one of the things i wonder and and, and kind of talking about this uh off screen you know yeah like the njo kind of replicating what the well yeah well, full disclosure i was talking about this with dom yesterday and he was talking about how yeah the njo they kind of did they bring back what luke was doing because luke now you know, in, in screen canon now he's doing something kind of different related but different uh is there is that kind of concerning that they just copied the whole purge thing from order 66 kind of like or, or or is it like you know similar to to getting the the clone aesthetic in old republic for example this will sell so let's have a unique angle on it or were they able to actually make a more convincing story out of it is another question. Cause that's another thing we talked about a lot is if you can, if it's a wonky story idea, but you execute it well, uh, then we'll forgive it. I don't know what, what was that like? What were all those purges like? I think people were generally happy. Like uh, NJO happened like that one in NJO happened before episode three. So we didn't really know what the details of that would be. And it wasn't like a full purge. It was just, they wanted to purge them and most of them ended up dying. So I think to the extent that people were already kind of like, there was some people that loved it, but other people who were fans of Bantam style Star Wars were upset with the darker tone already. So I think that like having like star by star is kind of the, the story where most of is the book where most of those deaths of Jedi happen. And the way they did it was it was a bunch of characters that get mentioned 
from the young readers novels, like the young Jedi Knights adventure books where Jaina and Jason would get a new friend every week on whatever planet, like there's the mermaid planet and they go and I actually think, I think she's from junior Jedi Knights, but they made a centaur friend and then Anakin mm -hmm. and Tahiri made a mermaid friend. And then you get to star by star. And this is like, this is the first time you're hearing about them in an actual, like an actual star Wars novel. You haven't, read about these guys for 10 years and you were a kid and the first thing you're seeing is oh they got mauled by a wolf on this other planet and they're dead so i think i think for some people that was a bit much but yeah. like for the yeah. <laughs> for like kotor 2 people are generally pretty high on like oh the the sith triumvirate there hmm. like scion kreia and nihilus so the the story was interesting enough for that but i think when you get to legacy and it's literally just darth crates coming like New Sith Emperor, killing everyone, edgy Skywalker. I think that one was probably not the most well-received either. Order 77. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, to be fair, you know, I, I, I talk about the Vader mask a lot and how mm -hmm. that's what, I mean, what, three, four times? And the idea of Vader versus Anakin, that's been repeated a few times. Yeah, you could, I mean, it's being some of the most compelling storytelling in, in the new canon. So, you know, it, like, yeah. It is interesting when you kind of look at it from, like, a macro scale, like, how much... Well, I, I mean, it's sort of like... I mean, this is what I think the Essential Guide authors do a pretty good job of trying to make the fact that a bunch of different authors all want to tell a Jedi Purge story yeah. um, kind of have to, like, mm -hmm. kind of make it work in, like, a, a single cohesive history... Um, of like, I mean, and they do. I think they do a good job of like saying, "Oh, you know, the Jedi have had their ups and downs, but they always bounce back." And you know, some sometimes worse than others, but you know, they they bounce back. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I you know, I think because in a weird way we haven't expanded that much yet. We only have like one redux of Rebel versus Empire again, and hopefully we won't. You know, like hopefully with that Ray new Jedi Order film. Hits it's not doesn't open up with the second order rises. Second order. Uh, uh, um, finalist order. <laughs> I know. I should say the the Kotor two one actually did come out. That was two thousand four, so that was before episode three as well. But like Star Wars has always had the idea of uh, like the Jedi were wiped out. It's not like it was just a surprise that, that was coming. But sorry, Joel. I mean, and then there was also the Bane and the Thought Bomb. Yeah, as, Kotor as two was yeah two thousand four. You're right. Right. Um, yeah. You know. Bane of the Thought Bomb and the Sith Purge. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Sith, Joel. Yes, I, right. I'm actually going about the Sith. Um, you know, that is, that's another, those are sort of another big get ones that sort of really have their heyday um, with because of the prequels. Um, which, and this is, and I, you know, I, we could probably talk about this in, in a little bit next week as, as well. Um, but, you know, the Sith, I, I always find the Sith really interesting because of the prequels where it's like, um, uh, where you have Tales of the Jet, you know, you have obviously Darth Vader was always kind of known as a Sith Lord if you bought the toys. Uh, they never said he was a Sith Lord in the film because they cut out his lead scene. You have the Emperor, who we have no idea what really was going on with him, even in Dark Empire. Like, I, I, I'm rereading all the Dark Empire, even Empire's End, just to check. Uh, they never say he's a Sith Lord, they never, he goes to Korriban. But they never say he was a Sith Lord. Um, Only Vader was until the prequels, when we find out that they weren't. Like Zahn wanted to do the Nogri were the Sith, so no one yeah, knew. And then you got the Tale of the Jedi stuff, where you know we see the Sith, and then we get the Korriban Sith. Um, 
But like, again, it's it just is... the red Sith species, those red skin. Right. Like, but then, you know, it is it is until right. Phantom Menace where like the Sith, you know, they use the term the Sith. Um, they become the big thing with Darth Maul, and then obviously, you know, we find out the Emperor was a Sith Lord. A Sith Lord. Um obviously What's revenge that? is the that was my waist windu when he looked Danik and just Sith goes, Lord. Yeah, fair. A okay. Sith Lord. What's a Sith uh, Lord? <laughs> uh, and, you know, obviously, as you know, we see it with more, obviously, Knights of the Old Republic stuff, which have already been kind of, which in, I think in a weird way did a really good job, I think, of kind of building off the Tale of the Jedi stuff with, like, the back lore almost mm -hmm. of, like, you know, here are the Sith again, right. but they're looking a little bit more what we're kind of used to in main mainstream Star Wars with the movies with Revan and Malak having the quasi-Vader Emperor relationship. Not obviously one to one, but you know what I mean. Mm. And then obviously by the time you get to Tor, the old public, you got Darth Vader ripoff number one hundred with with uh, with, uh, uh oh shoot, Malgus. Malgus, thank you. Like, and he's the big character, yeah, with Malgus. But you know, it's like I think after that, and as well with even NGO when they kind of got maybe a little cold feet because of how that went down. They decided, oh, gets to go back to Jedi versus Sith because that's kind of the big thing in Star Wars, yeah. which kind of always has been, even with Tale of the Jedi, but now it's truly the main the main story of Star Wars is the battles between the Jedi and the Sith. But, uh, Corey, I'll let you, I'll let you take on from there. Like, I'm sure you've noticed that as well with, like, after, during and after the prequels, the Sith also kind of become the big... They're the, they're, they are the big bads of Star Wars. Yeah. Like, they are the villain of Star Wars. Well, I think especially at that point with NJO, there are, there are a few things that are... Uh, more annoying to me that they drop but like going back to the jedi and sith element it's kind of understandable because like the movies are the big cultural touchstones like they're even if it's not the same canon tiers that they had to come up with to fit everything together at that point like it's still most people are going to watch the movies mm -hmm. a good chunk of people the same group of people are going to watch the shows and you want to convert some of those people into people who will go and read the books and comics because yeah. you're very rarely going to get someone who their first entry point yeah. is the books and comics right so like if you're going to be able to get someone in you want to match the things that drew them into those out like yeah if you're going to legacy of the force which is coming out pretty close on the heels of revenge of the sith coming out like it's easier to get people in if you're saying oh there's a new sith lord and oh my god it's darth vader's grandson then and someone's going to have to have a lightsaber battle with him at some point. Like that's, it, I understand why they would have done that compared mm -hmm. to like dark nest and uh, NJO, which had been more in line with stuff coming out a long time after mm -hmm. there hadn't been a movie to really set the tone. Cause like they were coming out simultaneously, mm -hmm. but those expectations hadn't quite been set when they were planning what those things were yet. And you were starting to get back to it with this war more, mm -hmm. uh, but, but you still had the weird bug elements of that. You were getting a lot more of though. These are the Jedi. Right. There were Lomi Plo and Welk as the Darksiders in that. So you're always a little bit tied to whatever is going to actually make someone read these books. I mean, they didn't even do with the film, right? I mean, yeah. Darth Vader's grandson. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and people have made this parallel lots, right? Even yeah. I haven't read uh, anything but Darth Cadus, but you know, Kylo Ren, <laughs> Darth Vader's grandson. Uh, he has a red lightsaber. It's kind of wonky. Uh, and he has a duel with the Anakin lightsaber. 
uh, with Ray. Yeah, it, it makes sense that people will, will want to get bought in that in that direction. It's just yeah, I mean, to to all the, the credit of all those folks. I mean, again, I haven't read any of the those books you mentioned, but it seems like they at least that's maybe the pattern here. That's the theme or all these things is things that maybe get repeated, get picked up in different ways. Are they able to put an, an interesting different spin on it? Mm -hmm. um, and I think Ryan Johnson did the best job of, of having that new spin, but yeah. It's like, maybe... what, it's like Bailey's always talking about that darn cycle. He's trying to stop. That's why he's sure. going to Mortis. Can talk to the manager. Talk, talk to the stop. manager. <laughs> Yes, go talk. over the head. Talk to the talk to the father. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's interesting that I'm gonna be curious to get your thoughts on this, Corey. That you know when we do the whole Legends v Canon debates and the the nonsense and like when I mean I say the nonsense I'm like like yeah you hate Canon. No, that Canon's superior to can the Legends superior to Canon because I say so. It's like what well, just just enjoy it. Just enjoy yeah. what you like, man. Yeah, um. I feel like really John became a much worse writer when he was writing in canon instead of legends, I guess. Like yes. if everything is just so bad in canon, all the authors that wrote in both, like are they bad then? Good now? <laughs> bad yeah. now? Like, I exactly. I a, your point is a great point. But, I mean. <laughs> yeah. but I feel like, you know, people say, oh, legends books had a lot more creative freedom than the, the new canon ones. And I mean, you know, in terms of like, you know, uh, kind of doing stuff with established movie characters sure you know there's i don't think you can do the ngo again with luke skywalker for a variety of reasons obviously um but uh you know they just or you know ray i don't think they were gonna have like a, a new jedi order book series or else he might but not in that way <laughs> um uh you know but on the other hand i legends also was very much tied to whatever the movies were doing because at the end of the day, this is business and we got to market these things. So, you know, it's like right. Jedi versus Sis big, bring in some Jedi and Sis. We can, we can finagle it because it's still, we still want to adhere to what we did before with like the post Endor era. So Mara's still around, although she sadly dies. Mm -hmm. Um, spoiler. Um, and obviously, you know, got the old Republic stuff in the past. So let's make it more like the Clone Wars. The Galactic Empire somehow exists a thousand years before, and there's another emperor. Uh, yeah, just, just any comments on, on that, Corey? Kind of, yeah, post? like as long as they're they are making more movies and, and shows, then like for a character like Ray, you're probably not going to be allowed to make a major character decision for them. You can have Ray in the books, she's going to be doing stuff, but like, yeah, Ray, if she dies, that death is not going to be in a book and then you're not going to like if you're approaching some big name filmmaker like if jj abrams hadn't worked on star wars yet just mm -hmm. to keep using John his, Favre, his, his John Favre. yeah well and anyway like uh if you're trying to get them on board to write and direct a star wars movie mm -hmm. like okay i want to come and tell ray's next big story and then you have to tell them like oh no she died in like new jedi order 17 yeah, I'm well. Yeah, that is somehow Ray returned. That's always a viable option. But <laughs> no, I won't, my, to my point is, even if in these Clone Wars scripts, 
yeah. uh, you know, they'll figure it away. And now they, they went on, yeah, on Starbucks.com to talk about it. Anyway, sorry, go, keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, I don't think the, Sometimes it gets framed as like they're lesser canon, and it's not necessarily that the stories are lesser canon. It's just the people who you are most likely to want to write a movie are going to be the ones that have the bigger demands on what they want to do. Like you're not going to get someone in to write a movie and tell them like, okay, but you also have to stay in line with these other things compared to a book where you're a bit more likely to have leverage to tell the authors what to do yeah. versus right. Yeah, they're not going to want to feel bound by that. In the same way that George wasn't. Right. I mean, and that's why now, I mean, they don't want to, you know, do the whole poop storm and just actually let a book author make a big story choice, right? That'll affect things. Otherwise, when that happens, and there'll be, you know, the there could have been a whole chaos thing last the last two weeks. There could have been, you know, a whole whole fights going on on there there was a little bit right there was still <laughs> what's going on what's going on reconning your know, r.i.p like everything i mean with with ahsoka in the ahsoka novel right I mean, not everything a few things a few little things here and there people um, are a lot more like yeah. you kind of just have to expect that there's going to be some kind of conflict right yeah. like there's going to be something that's wrong it doesn't mean that suddenly the entirety of all the context is just gone sure. and the move like everyone go and burn their copy of dark disciple now it's <laughs> which it's over <laughs> um, <laughs> game over um, man game over but you know i'll say what's interesting just going back to the point from before though is uh you know one of the one of the best novels this came in 2009 this is much later uh the the you know the or 2006 i guess the main trilogy it was it was something you know that had been had a very clear end in mind right that george said this is the the bane story edmonton drew carpetian you can only do you you want to write this do i don't know how that came about but uh you can you know only do so much um yeah i know i guess you know he, he wrote the games too so he probably was like hey here take this but you know it was that's that's the interesting thing about even even that trilogy uh, and about a lot of it, the new canon is the way they're able to take those restrictions and find really meaningful stories within them. It's mm -hmm. also why, again, with High Republic, why the things don't necessarily connect, don't matter to connect. They're yeah. so much freer to do what they want. Um, you know, it's why, you know, uh, uh, oh my goodness, uh, Rise of the Red Blade, for example, from everything I've heard, such a compelling story. Hmm. you know it doesn't have to have much to do with anything else that will, yeah. would possibly be retconned so yeah it, it it's again the, the, there's there's both there there's a both end there of, of at least the best star wars authors and this is yeah really what came out i went to a panel at new york comic-con all about this right uh with with john jackson miller and delilah dawson you know the best ones can find the angle can find the the wrinkle within what's already been laid down within what's coming um, to say, okay, make something feel big, make something feel important. Well, let me tell you again on Wednesday, we, I mean, we have an inkling of what's happened, but here's a character that, you know, Kieran Gillen created in a Darth Vader comic, Dr. Afra, that uh, has gone through such a journey 
she feels so big and important to those of us who've read all these comics. Um, you know, is she gonna does she have any kind of impact on uh, uh you know on the events of Return of the Jedi at all? I don't know. Do I care? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I I care that what happens to her in this issue, and I care what happens to her later on. I do hope we keep talking about this. We do hope she shows up on live action on screen, but uh, for now, she's just so written, especially by Alyssa Wong, uh, that you know it it's it's contained within it that you know I mean that already uh, you know had. Uh, well, it seemed to have already been there. I mean, again, I'm thinking more. I've only maybe read more of the later legends. The the best, the most beloved book, uh, one of the most beloved books of all Star Wars books of all time, uh, is entirely indebted to the events of the Phantom Menace, right? The, the Plagueis, <laughs> Plagueis. right? Entirely indebted to that. Entirely limited by that, <laughs> and yet uh, is able to to weave such an intricate compelling story in it because i mean that's just james lucino being able to to pull out see that's the thing is you can see can you see these things as constraints or you can see these things as gifts right what did george give us what <laughs> and, and that's i mean that's why the better stories come out after the fact right oh, yeah. <laughs> i mean you know like, unless you're james lucino and you're writing this prequel to Rogue One, which was also really great. But yeah, yeah. But I think um, even uh, like just like Doctor Afra, I think uh, Alphabet Squadron. I it's probably my favorite Star Wars trilogy mm-hmm. because like they're new characters that are able to go through a lot and explore a lot of different themes that you couldn't necessarily get in a book about Han, Luke, and Leia. And for all the idea that like legends had more freedom for authors, one of the reasons that NJO was started was because it was kind of those three that had to start in one place, end in that place again, because you couldn't really make them change too much. They got, they got Jaina and Jason. Uh, so like they're, they grew as a family. Luke got married, but a lot of this like actual character development, like Luke had to stay the same. Like once you got between the books, he was still kind of in the same place. And then NJO was like, oh, are we done with Luke? Can we kill him off? And now it's just the next generation. But because of George not wanting to have him killed off, they weren't able to do that, whether that's because he thought maybe I'm going to want to explore that in a story eventually. And I don't want the publishing side to have already done that, even though he was probably not to tell the same story as the publishing side or definitely wasn't going to tell the same story. Uh, But I, I don't think it even is really a a bigger freedom they had there. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, I mean, you know, this is kind of the one thing I like about the post-Endor era storytelling in canon, maybe even over Legends, is they're telling about new characters, right? I mean, you know, yes, we, we know that certain things have to happen, like Thrawn's not around during the First Order time, so we can kind of assume either he ran away or he's dead. Uh, I'm going with dead. But, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Din and Grogu. I mean, I, I kind of don't think they're going to die because I think, you know, it's like the money and I don't want to see little Grogu die. Uh, but, you know, it's like we don't know what's going to happen to Din. We don't know what's going to be going to happen to Ahsoka. You know, I, I doubt she's going to die, too. But, you know, as I like to say, she'll just head on to Mortis and lay low there for forever. But, you know, all the Rebels characters. So, um yeah, that's that's like the big thing there too, where it's like that is the big criticism about like the at least the post Endor Legends era of 
yeah, you're just using Lucan and Leia. And mm -hmm. sadly, it's kind of overshadowing Jason and Jane in the new generation. Um, but um, that actually is something I actually wanted to talk about again, you know, um, you know, again, the, the silly nonsense of Legends Recan is like, oh, this feels like Star Wars. This feels like Star Wars. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I am curious, Corey, you know, as the prequels come out, you know, things like the, the kind of the, I guess, the ideology of like the Force, the Star Wars, like how, how it's used kind of consolidates compared to like the 90s stuff, which I'm going to be reading next week, where, you know, it's like you have Tom Veitch, where the Force is like pure on magic, where like <laughs> you can turn people's tongues into snakes. And then you kind of cut Tim Zahn's The Force is a little bit more like the movies. They kind of feel more like telekinesis a little bit. And I do wonder, you know, did the prequels kind of change the way the authors had to view The Force and finagle it, like, really, like, adhere to, like, the philosophies of what balance is and light and dark and that sort of thing as well? Or did that come more, like, during the canon area where I feel like more authors are trying to adhere more to, like, the George philosophy of the Force and all that? Because uh, you were talking a little bit about that with Vergeer and NGO yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think that was always very author to author, where, like, now mm -hmm. there's a lot more, for whatever reason, emphasis on exploring it as, like, the, the mystical side or philosophical side of it. But, like, you'll still get some authors that want to go the RPG Force Power style like the Dark <laughs> Trilogy had, right. where, like, so, for some authors, it's very much, like, this is this is our RPG power set. This guy took, like, seven <laughs> skill points in Force Lightning, <laughs> and Corrin forgot to spec into telekinesis at all. Whoops. But, yeah. <laughs> Can't but, paint a lot harder. Yeah. But, like, then you have in legends coming out of the prequel or going in and coming out of the prequel era, there was an internal kind of back and forth on what the force was or should be where you had Trader with Regier talking about it. And there's the whole, the force is one thing. There's not a dark side and a light side, the darkness and lightness is within you. And then that kind of evolved into the, the kind of simplified is the nice way to put it. Potentiate thing that <laughs> Denning was all over where like now because the darkness is within you then Luke can run around using force lightning and that's all okay but then Jason turned out to be a Sith Lord so maybe not but <laughs> it, yeah Whoops. so yeah <laughs> I had to, had to check the tapes on that one whether it was that <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I think at that point it was just more of an author by author thing whereas now there's mm -hmm. a lot more unity on yeah this is what the force is, and that's why Colin Trevorrow got fired. Um, that's not how the force works. I mean, again, I think it gets back to what I was saying before about what George gave us mm -hmm. in this prequel trilogy that, again, created an appetite for exploring it. I think, again, a lot of people, a lot of folks went into the creamsicle direction and it was all, we got to be like Sith, like Luke. Oh, why not Luke having force lightning kind of that kind it's of thing white lightning though so it's a okay. white lightning that makes Absolutely. it better <laughs> it's, it's green, uh, electric yeah. judgment which is <laughs> but uh at the very least yeah i mean to say jedi as heroes because they're guided by the force uh there yeah, could be an appetite for that now you know and again going back to plagueis right uh kind of and well, even even the the whole you know how does Anakin get conceived, right? The whole 
the force, you know, the, the, the Sith are trying to take control over the force, which puts it out of balance and the force whacks back. <laughs> you know, I and, love and that moment this. in Plagueis where Plagueis realizes that C Anakin is like, uh oh. Yeah. So and, and and again, that's ten, nine years after Revenge of the Sith, but uh, within that time, yeah, there has there's been this ex- reflection on on the Force again. I do think there's a real world component here of wanting to to tell, uh, wanting to move away from kind of this moral equivalency. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's the worst part about Gray Jedi is is that it is kind of both sidism in in a way right it is i get to be evil i get to be selfish and yeah i think there, there was a move selfish for good uh, reasons though selfish for good reasons <laughs> there's a move to say okay i can care for myself and what i need and what i hope for uh but it, that's not selfish that's care for self there's a big difference there yeah, I think the, the yeah that real world. I know that's a, a kind of a on a personal level, on a societal level, right? To say, okay, cooperation and collaboration. That you know, and maybe I'm getting more of the Star Trek thing, but uh, moving towards that and saying, okay, this is how the Force works. It it actually brings us together. Ideally, let's tell these stories. Let's continue to tell these stories. And then that get, that really gets carried on into into uh, the new canon in some meaningful ways again with Hyrule. But you know, Claudia Gray, Claudia Gray had to have read a lot of this. Oh, I'm sure they all did to a certain extent. I'm sure yeah, and did. and then you know, Master Apprentice, she has Qui Gon saying, mm-hmm. you know, the it, it's be, I follow the light because it's a light, and, and, right? And that I mean, I think that that's. I, I my get my sense is that that's in continuity with what uh, what these novels have laid down. I hope. Um, you know, one of the last things I want to discuss with you, um, and I'm curious, Corey, what, what you know for your research is, or just your kind of your vibe, maybe is you know, Matthew talked about you know authors giving take using what George gave us. Do you notice any any authors or any storylines where you kind of feel like? Oh, these authors did not like the prequels, and they're kind of doing their own thing. Uh, or they want to do their version of it to a certain extent, because, like, you know, we talked about the multiple Jedi purges. I wonder if there was any like someone didn't like how Revenge of the Sith turned out and thought the Jedi purge was going to be way cooler, because um, you know, there's sort of, I mean, you know, especially if they were like the '90s kids who thought, oh, you know, the Jedi purge was a lot longer, and Darth Vader and the Emperor like personally hunted down Jedi. Just mm-hmm. imagine Palpatine with his cane, and just <laughs> Vader, just kind of on the field, like. I just think of Jack. I think he's got a theme over there. Electric justice. Um, <laughs> or you know, I mean, I, I don't think Denning didn't like did didn't didn't like the prequel. But I I see a little bit from what I know of that era of like the legacy of the Force. Not the legacy, yeah, legacy of the Force stuff. You know, there is a little. You know, I feel like Jason Solo is kind of what people kind of thought Anakin was gonna be, where it's like his dark side fall was a lot more philosophical and a little bit more i'm doing this for justice i'm not really evil even though i'm totally doing evil things compared to what we get in revenge of the sith where it's kind of boiled down to my wife's gonna die if i don't do this i need help palpatine i'll I'll turn on everyone i'm gonna kill everybody just to save Mm -hmm. my wife um did did, did you do you think or notice like any sort of like we're raking these stories because we want to do the 
I guess, you know, the prequels, but better in some of that kind of that more negative kind of, I don't want to say spiteful light, but, you know, kind of that, yeah, we had a, we kind of want to do our version, but cooler. Did you, any thoughts on that? I mean, for some of the themes or interpretation of the Force, there was definitely people who saw it differently than what came out. Like preemptively, there's Stover in Trader writing based on, mm-hmm. like, writing Vergier as a Jedi or what he thought would be a Jedi based on what, like, Obi Wan and Yoda were saying in mm-hmm. the original trilogy. And that ends up being a right. very different, like, I, I don't think it's like George doing a full 180 on anything. It's just, there was such a limited amount of information that what Stover came up with ended up not being what George was going to go for. But I think like philosophically or politically for Denning, especially coming in when he did after the prequels, I I think like without getting too far into it, I think George Mm -hmm. or I think Denning is a Bush era Republican and George is not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there's some definite... I mean, I've gone there. So if you want to go there, go for yeah. it. Go ahead. We, <laughs> we, we are full on politics in this podcast. Go yeah, ahead. I, I mean, like, the, you can see a lot of that with some of the some of the earlier authors as well. Where mm-hmm. I don't think... I think Denning... Because he's... I, I've seen a lot of Denning on social media talk about, like, being a Republican before Trump. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think the way he writes about... The New Republic writes about like the Empire. Like you can see where his worldview is coming from, and where like even with uh, Outbound Flight with Timothy Zahn, where like he is explicitly writing about the Iraq War and like mm-hmm. he's justifying the Iraq War, where mm-hmm. George would not, <laughs> no, did not, right. and was writing the prequel trilogy about how Bush was bad. And how Reagan was bad. Mm-hmm. Nixon was how, bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Gingrich was bad. Like this, mm-hmm. George was not subtle on any of these points. And you have a lot of these more prominent authors that are writing a lot of Star Wars mm-hmm. that are very much not coming from that direction, whether they think they're coming from it apolitically. Like when Zan's talking about how he wrote Outbound Flight mm-hmm. to be like, oh, this is my commentary on Iraq, but I'm not telling the reader what to believe. Like, I. <laughs> You may not think you are, yeah. but it's very evident in this the way you're describing the two positions here, what you mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. is or isn't a valid point to be made. And I think Denning comes across very similarly in that. And I don't know if Denning can help but to do that. I mean, is there a sense, because here's the thing, is, is you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in mm-hmm. Canada in 2024, being all, yeah, Iraq war, it was all never in favor of that. Um is there a sense that at least there's room for that kind of argument, that kind of storytelling? I mean, I'd say especially when you, if you you, know, you there there is the the rebels are the libertarians and the empire is I mean you know, well, the Viet Cong, right? I mean, yes, the main argument with George is that the empire is American expansionism, but yeah, you can make this argument: the empire is. Uh, those who you know who want to centralize government and centralize means of production or centralize uh or just have have more environmental regulations and uh raise taxes so you can have uh more civil infrastructure and you know the, the social democracy and, and that that's that's taking power away from the local local government local local communities 
Uh, Tried to nationalize the farm. You, right. you know, yeah. So there's that. Is there with a similar thing showing, you know, with, with Denning, with Zahn, was there at least a sense of, okay, trying to communi- con- contribute something intelligent in that discussion? Or was it kind of banal and just, yeah, we got to, Got to defend the defend the troops' national security, and uh, you know, got to go grab our resources or whatnot. I yeah, like I, I can't really speak to what San in particular's wider beliefs are than Iraq War support in two thousand three, yeah. or at least which in that direction. Which to be fair, been, Hillary Clinton yeah. was a favorite. Yeah, yeah. like so, at that point in know. the states, that was a much more popular proposition. Yeah. At least in two thousand one, by two thousand three. Or no, she was a favorite of Afghanistan, right? Yeah, everyone's in favor of Iraq? Afghanistan in 2003 was the invasion of Iraq, and fewer yeah. people were in favor, but it was still very yeah. much war on terror. Yeah. Like everyone is supposed to oh, support yeah. this. That's the patriotic thing to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that's not my, but that's what the sure. yeah, I get political it. culture yeah. But like, I, I don't know, like, I don't know how much more Zahn would align with Bush in other things, mm-hmm. but. Like I think there's a very distinct flavor of the empire you get from them mm-hmm. where there's like the things that made the empire bad is just Palpatine. Like once you get rid of the uh, evil wizard. Yeah. Like you have the, the honorable men of the empire, like Pelion, who mm-hmm. is, he's actually a good guy after all, even though like the first thing he does is do a racism to Rook. And like you're getting the other Imperials that are complaining to Pal to Pelion of like, oh, we're why are we negotiating with these uh with the new republic of these alien lovers? So like clearly they're not trying to portray it as if like, oh, the Empire's racist and that's a good thing, but there's still more of a willingness to say, like, oh, the the Empire's racist, but there's these people in here that are that still see the value in that system rather than seeing the systemic issues that I think other perspectives would take from it. And I think that's the the biggest difference in how they come from it. Where like there's still a lot of stories that uh, that Zahn would tell, or that Denning would tell, or any of them would tell mm-hmm. against like authoritarianism that I end up agreeing with more. But there are certain other themes that they go for that I think really do stick through that show this disconnect from how George would structure his stories or where he saw value in uh, including those themes. True. Uh, let me let me ask you know not to get too far ahead to probably future podcast but did denning see jason solo as an anti-hero almost in a way that we're never going to get and probably never will get someone who sees the cis as the anti-hero uh you know like not even you know not even kylo ren was necessarily the anti-hero i know some people think that but like no he was very much the antagonist even if he got redeemed he was still the antagonist um and I'll be very curious to see Acolyte, but I don't think they'll let, like... No, the Sith are still the that. bad guys at yeah. the end of the day. But do you think Denning and in that time were almost allowed to show... And they thought, like, Vader and Jason were, like, almost, like, anti-heroes compared to, like, I don't know, Exar Kun style or Palpatine style, just mwaha, evil mm-hmm. Sith lords. Um, and then he got Plagueis, which is his own... Which I think is actually the most nuanced Sith, even though he's yeah. still bad. Uh yeah, like Jason's kind of interesting because, like, the at the start, I think all of them were on board with the idea that, like, Jason feels like he's doing the right thing because they're trying to show mm-hmm. someone who is conscious of what he's doing going into Anakin's position and deciding, like, 
this is my only option to stop this horrible future I see. Right. Which so I think they do see him as an anti-hero in that sense, but I think all of them, including Denning, were on board with the idea that like Anna, like Jason was not right to do any of the things that he was doing by the end of it. Like he had fully fallen until the moment that he decides to like use his to rather than fight Jaina, reach out and save his daughter. Right. Uh, but like because the I don't think like Denning's position there was such that he's going to overtly say the bad guy is the good guy so much as mm -hmm. the way that someone like Pelion gets rehabilitated involves less rehabilitation for him in the direction that might really reflect some of his worse positions than what another author might do. Mm -hmm. Like I, they, all of the authors were seemingly on board with the idea like Jason started out as a good guy had a good goal in mind and then fell to the dark side because the dark side is the dark side and that's how stuff happens. <laughs> but like I, it, he's, he'd been through a lot. He'd been tortured a lot. Like I think they were all kind of thinking he was coming from a messed up position, wanted to do the right thing. And his whole framework had been changed by what had happened with Vergier and the swarm war. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, kind of go back to what we talked about at the very beginning with Dark Empire. Mm -hmm. That's something I don't think new new canon Star Wars will ever do unless they get really crazy. And, like, there's no, there's never going to be a good empire, which, I mean, I'm glad. I don't, you know, they, they went first order. Yeah. They're not going to do the whole purge. Now that the empire is purged of Darksiders, uh, we can now be good people, but still <laughs> Imperial. I mean, you know, look at Thrawn. Well, he that's decided... the Imperial Knights, right? They were the bigger one in Legends, where it's like the mm -hmm. dark side Empire Jedi that are full on in that. Even right. More so than like Jason. Yeah. I, I, I found it funny, um, you know, it, when watching Ahsoka, it's like, well, the Sith are dead, so Thrawn's going to bring another dark side cult to help out the Empire. <laughs> yeah. Bring in the Night Sisters. Night Sisters. I mean, yeah, well, by definition, right? I mean, Star Wars is made by people who live try to live in a democracy, mm -hmm. uh, in a time where in a country where democracy was has been threatened, and this year, hopefully, not threatened too much again. But you never know. Yeah, I, I the, there's it's a pretty clear thing of um, democratic institutions norms are are a good thing and to erode that or to have a system of government that i mean you know i mean i mean what i would be curious not an empire but you know a monarchy you have other systems smaller scale systems that aren't you know like george has always been odd with monarchy i'll just say that it has and uh, and things are not necessarily representative democracy but um you know a benevolent leader who calls the shots that still allows has other mechanisms for mm -hmm. wide-ranging input i mean you know i mean you know i guess alderaan is a benevolent monarchy. yeah like alderaan you know i mean i, I mean justin trudeau whatever you think of him he calls the shots you know that's the way our, our westminster system works mm -hmm. um you know at least at least i mean now that he has at least the confidence of the house of Commons. Right. Yeah. That's again by definition that city over there that you're in, Corey. <laughs> um, yeah. but it's still, you know, we have we have democratic institutions, right? He's not, I can I can say, oh, he did this really stupid thing, he's not gonna come and arrest me. <laughs> yeah. well, um, we're never gonna Star Wars, thankfully, will never say uh 
yeah, yeah. Well, I think they've learned their lesson for those kinds of things. Yeah. Well, what's interesting and something you've brought up, Corey, and I brought up too, just because you brought it up in your videos of like how <laughs> modern Star Wars has gotten a lot more less official institution and more communal and over mm. the years. Would you like to explain that to the, to the audience? Back yeah, home? like there's there's a lot more emphasis on like grassroots organizing than there was in the past where like it's harder to, it, I think just fundamentally with a lot of stories where you're trying to tell, mm. especially something that has like multiple story arcs, then you're going to get towards a kind of fictionalized version of the, the great man theory of history. Mm. And you're getting almost by almost unintentionally just by definition, getting more authoritarian because you have these characters that are your heroes in either the government like Leia or in the military like Hera. And as the audience, we're watching them and thinking like, yeah, we know they're right. Why are we going through anything else to like anyone who is a check or balance on them is by necessity of the plot an antagonizing force. So you have like Senator Giono, who <laughs> is clearly just kind of an asshole and has to be because he's an antagonist in the show. But if you just think about the basic situation of like, this is the military leader coming in and saying they want to be able to do whatever they want. And the way Star Wars kind of has to structure it is a story where like, yes, the, this is allowed, even though in re the real world, that's very much not okay. Mm -hmm. And like uh, Mark from the Templin Institute yeah. jokingly called Hera a fascist and like is commenting <laughs> on that. And people got so angry because yeah. they were missing what his point was with that but like i i think that's just mm. a, a danger you get into with it but then you have yeah. some stories that manage to do it well like uh i'm going to give the rise of skywalker credit here mm. where the idea of having it just be people coming together that's something that is like kind of goes against that you're keeping the heroes involved you're keeping a very central focus on like the skywalker family and like those characters with Ray, like Ray and Palpatine being the big showdown, and that's what ultimately matters. But you're still getting more agency for people, uh, more of an idea that this reflects the will of the galaxy rather than just mm -hmm. being the personal struggle between two opposing forces to be the galactic rulers. They heard Palpatine coming back, and they're like, "Nope, we're done with the bleeping bleeping Sith Lords." Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just saying, you know, about that video. To, to be to be fair, yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, the title was the title, but I get the point. I get the point that, you know, that civilian control of our military is vital to a democracy. And I was about to say, you know, it'd be you know, good to see a story that just simply wasn't the story in Ahsoka. And like you were saying, they had to frame it in that direction. Um, and thankfully brought in Leia or, you know, 3PO, but Leia to have, it, it was within the civilian legislative oversight mechanisms that enable Hera to do what she's doing eventually after the fact. Mm -hmm. But I was going to say, you know, it'd be nice to see a story where uh, yeah, there is civilian control over the military and civilian check over the military uh, in, in Star Wars and where there maybe is even a, here's a thing, a benevolent chancellor who yeah, is democratically elected uh who you know can can go to the jedi and say hey can, can you help me out with this this problem i have there's this whole pirate gang out there in the outer rim that wreaking havoc and they're causing problems and oh they have this massive storm wall that they can actually move mm -hmm. right i'm talking about 
yeah. High Republic. <laughs> I'm talking about High of Darkness, especially. And uh, and that's the question that's come up is yeah, that um here is this before image. You know, I mean, getting closer a little bit to you know, away from George's skepticism of, of those institutions, a little closer to maybe Gene Roddenberry's sense of uh, of those things. But that's okay. I mean, that's partly why it's good that it's the before the higher hall because of the before image, yeah, uh, in a way. Because then they can say, "Oh, look how I know, Joel. You don't fully track with this, but I think the still." the 200 year historical point is look where things got where that is a problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that high Republic does very with a varying quality, I guess, between different books where in a lot of them, I think it handles that really well, but I think like eye of darkness in particular went too far in trying to say like, I would like to make absolutely clear that none of this is the Republic institution's fault. It's all the people outside. There is no causality between how people might feel about the Republic and what we are doing. Uh, and as in like blaming, not blaming the Republic for the Nile, not necessarily blaming them for the Nile, but just like so explicitly making sure that we, the audience through uh, Lena So's speech know or not. Yeah. Was it Lena So? Yeah, it must have been. Yeah. It was Phase Three. Uh, knowing that, like, we need to highlight that there may be problems with the Republic, but we're not talking about those today because these people mm. are actually they they want nothing. They're doing nothing. They're just the fact that the opposition group here, which is like clearly a stand-in for like MAGA Republicans, like they're they were always going to come around doing this way and we have no actual conception of what they want and i feel like there's a destructive element to that attitude as well of like trying to divorce it from any amount of like cause and effect not that they're right about anything they're doing or right about anything right. they want but that they just came out of nowhere and this was entirely outside of our institution's abilities to prevent hmm. Yeah, I think that comes through more in George Mann's book than it has in like anyone else, especially DJOs, who I yeah. think is a lot more in tune with the other side of that. Yeah, I mean, you see what he's talking about in real world issues. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see then if they actually address that, if they go into that, and you know how the Nile, uh, what the Nile's grievances are against the Republic for real. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think Phase Two handled it a lot better of like grounding yeah. where these people on uh iram and arono had issues even if like you knew they weren't right in what they were doing mm -hmm. you could understand where the flaws in the institutions were coming from and understand that it wasn't actually perfect for everyone so hearing people talk about how actually we're perfect there's nothing we could really be doing better mm -hmm. is kind of destructive and just going to make people want to yeah do worse stuff it's interesting yeah. Uh well, that was a good, good just asking about philosophy. We'll, we'll say that. Um, you know, and I'll, I guess I'll wrap it up with kind of the last kind of big point here. Well, let's just actually look at in the comments first. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking for me personally. Sorry, Corey, about your head. Um, <laughs> personal enjoyment. The reason I love Legends so much is because it's adventure with our main heroes. I don't really care about the side characters. Okay, so you're more of a play legends because you like seeing the main characters i mean i get it it's kind of cool seeing the lucard that play adventures oh my 
I agree with a lot of you guys are saying. I think the reason people get so riled up is because Lucasfilm pushes the idea pretty much Iron Clan can where they make changes when they need to. Um, um, what, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of true. Um, yeah, uh, I just want to jump in with, uh, and this is this is Ben from Outer Rim Transmissions. Uh, shout out to those guys. Uh, I'll, the podcast led by Chris Abbott. So there we go. Uh, the fandom fam. Um, yeah, and this is a, uh, this is the point. I, I did, was good to highlight. You know, yeah, that's true. People did like those characters, so why not keep them going? I mean, compelled by them. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe the point with NJO, they could have had a better balance, and that in new canon, they're getting to a better balance. Uh, I mean, all the comics from uh, New Hope to Return of the Jedi are all. Well, I mean, the main line, the ongoing line, Luke and Leia. Uh, and we're gonna see more of Luke. We know that. We're gonna see more of. We'll we'll, we'll see Leia eventually, Han eventually. So, like I'm bringing up Stover a lot, but he yeah. talked about the uh, kind of that going on where he'd been asked to write a Luke Han or Leia book, and he said he didn't want to because what could he bring to the characters because they'd been mm-hmm. explored so much. Yeah. Uh, but then he ended up writing Shadows of Mindor as kind of just a, a fun adventure for the three of them because it had been so long by that point. Mm-hmm. that what had been written that was just kind of them off doing something kind of zany so yeah there's definitely <laughs> yeah room for and, all of it and i think that's partly what's happening with new canon yeah. right with screen it's just waiting for the time to be right to do it uh especially after the sequel trilogy where we saw them Lucan yeah Lucan, you, know? you know i know it, it's it's interesting and I, I won't you know i won't make this too long but it's like yeah you know like especially like where to put them because it's sort of like it's one thing to do like a zany fun adventure with them, but if you're gonna do a TV series, be it live action recasting or animation, which I don't know how to put this animation, you still mm-hmm. kind of have to tell an arc, you know, kind of an elongated arc. It's just, yeah. I mean, you know, you can still have some wacky adventures, obviously, but you know, serialized storytelling, you're kind of expecting a, a grander arc. I mean, I want the story of what happens mm-hmm. to Luke's Academy and kind of that elongated yeah. storyline for sure. I think we'll get that eventually. Yeah. You know, I, I can see why maybe they, they wait on that um, mm-hmm. quite a bit. But um, yeah, just oh, this in this comment here, yeah, uh, also by Ben, uh, about political perspectives of authors. And yeah, to say you know, there could be an argument for that sort of storytelling because it's whatever inspiration the creator of the story is coming from was a point of view. And yeah, again, that, that's that's the thing. My, my question behind my question about Zahn and Denning was, okay, did they do this? do it intelligibly and, and meaningfully or did they just bring in tropes and mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean from what my sense Karen is, Travis is doing yeah there's that um and my sense is yeah with Zahn especially did it meaningfully and intelligibly yeah I think there is I'm gonna I'll be on the internet here there is room for conservatism in Star Wars <laughs> you know um well one of the other things that's that on that pretty well is something that Zahn does Mm -hmm. regardless of any of his other political beliefs is that he's been someone that people have latched on to for good portrayals of neurodivergent characters recently. So for all the issues I have with like the Chiss ascendancy as being this weird little xenophobic hellhole in the middle of the unknown regions, (laughs) uh, like there's a lot of value that people have in Thrawn in that era as a character who is being portrayed as meaningfully neurodivergent that has gotten Mm -hmm. a big fan base for that. Yeah, that's good too. Yeah, and you know, I, I I've always talked about how 
while I think projecting a little bit too much on the prequels of the Jedi or the Catholic Church, um, that was not George's intent. If you want to write a story where that's like the allegory in your individual Star Wars, I don't yeah. know. I don't think that's necessarily a problem, especially if you do it intelligibly. I mean, you know what? You know what? I go for that, right? <laughs> that's I'd eat that up, and that well, wouldn't necessarily have to be conservative, but would still be traditionally minded. Tradition minded. Um, here's another another comment by Ben. Uh, if I can find it here, um, about about Master and Apprentice. That's the thing why I love Master and Apprentice is it's so. Uh, it hits on some of the more, more traditionally minded, and with Qui Gon especially in that, um, hits on those things. So sorry, Court, you're going to say you want to just well for a lot of it. There, there might be yeah. allegories that aren't intended or mm -hmm. comparisons that aren't True. intended that just kind of leak in from being part of the general culture. So oh yeah, one of the interesting things about having so many different perspectives in books is that you don't really know what's going to be added by the author intentionally and what else is going to just be like the background yeah. framing that's obvious to anyone else who's reading it, but might not be obvious to them because that's the environment that they're kind of thinking is the default. Yeah, right. I do it all the time. I had a whole podcast where I did that <laughs> <laughs> and I do it sometimes now. Uh, one last comment here and then we can go into your last, last point there, Joel. Sure, uh, okay. yeah. Welcome. 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 Welcome uh, to the Star Wars Underworld YouTube channel, etc. Uh, yes. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the I guess the final point is, you know, if I have to, if I have to give like real some real credit to something about new canon, mm -hmm. which obviously is not, you know, it's a it's an unfair advantage, unfortunately, because of how legends developed. Um, but I do like the integration of the prequels into the new canon, in kind of a grander sense, mm -hmm. you know from the start um obviously you know again you can't you can't blame you know 90s era star wars comics and books for not doing that i mean i love 90s era star wars comics. time travel books. i know time <laughs> travel but you know uh, but you know it's sort of like you know watching the mandalorian and like yeah. you know seeing as much as you know we can talk about the lizzo episode it's like hey b1 battle droids that's cool so you know seeing those guys around a lot and just you know din flying a naboo starfighter that's kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of even, you know, Palpatine's return more in the expanded stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Built to Brown Ride Skywalker does talk a little bit about Plagueis and what he was doing. Not a lot compared to the actual book, but you get a sense that they're, they're definitely a fan of that material. Um, and, you know, it's like the Dark Times era, obviously get to see more of it and see like oh yeah here's the remnants of the prequel era still around to this day and with bad batch and andor and kind ahsoka. of even ahsoka <laughs> live action and, Clone Wars. <laughs> and you know kind of my my hope and future yeah. uh post andor material not mando related but maybe more new republic centric is you know what's my mothma thinking about when she's establishing the new republic it's like well I don't want to just do what the sucked. old republic. Oh, what? How much parents sucked? Yeah, well, uh, yes, <laughs> I want to see that. Too. I want to see that, of course. But outside of how much parents sucked, like how how do I make, how do I bring back some of these separatist worlds who have been hating on the republic just as much as they've been hating on the empire? And it's like, mm -hmm. oh well, it's just the same thing, you know. Like uh, there were, were things in aftermath. I wish they could explore more, like the neo separatist union and mm -hmm. you know that sort of stuff. But um. Yeah, I mean, Corey, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't, I mean, sure, you know, 
I, you, I don't think this is necessarily a, a thing Ken has over legend in terms of like good or bad, but how, how have you felt about just kind of seeing a new canon form kind of now with more the full picture and stuff like Luke finding out about his dad slaughtering the, the youngling 30 years later, probably not happening. Um, yeah. And Anakin not going, hey, Leia, I did the thing. Forgive me, please. I did, I did the thing. Like, how, how have you felt about the kind of like the seeing the integration now that we've seen have the full picture? Yeah, it's been like it's been cool being able to see Ahsoka interacting with Luke and just all these different eras. Like the idea of like Luke saying the name Count Dooku is kind of always what yeah. I thought of as something that like they're in the same universe. They're both big figures in this universe, mm -hmm. but it's not something you'd ever really like. It would just sound kind of weird. And now it does feel a lot more connected and it wouldn't be as weird to have Luke just throw the name Count Dooku in at some point. But He was a visionary. <laughs> <laughs> Luke knows that he's a political idealist, not a murderer. It's very Sex. clear on this. Not a murderer. <laughs> not a murderer. Not a murderer. Just a political idealist. No, I, I agree. That is yeah. that is probably one of the best things ever, you know, um, outside of just seeing, you know, Brendel Huck's sequel trilogy character with Captain Pelion, that was cool. yeah. Legends icon. You can also see more like intermedia connections really quickly. Like you could, you kind of had to wait through. If you're a Star Wars video game player in the '90s, you're waiting ten years to see Kyle Katarn get briefly mentioned in a Legends novel when he is like the video game guy. Right. But in the last couple of years, we had like Bad Batch, Jedi Fallen Order, Jedi Survivor, and Kenobi that had a lot that really tied into each other. Where you had like the Zepho mm -hmm. artifacts in Bad Batch, you had kenobi showing the path and then you have seer and uh uh you know setting up the the path so like it there there's all these connections that are coming a lot faster and a lot more meaningful than they would have been fortress inquisitorious yeah newer i mean cad bane chrysanthemum yeah not cad bane Cobb vance Cobb vance start with a c start with a c Cobb vance that's perspective yeah, Cabane too. But that's a perspective because we're all like, when are we gonna see how are these things gonna happen? When are you gonna fit in? High in there, there, yeah, there are more more yeah. a lot quicker. That was a reasonable question of like yeah. like could we see Asajj Ventures in live action now? Could we see like random it's not like saying when is Kyle Katarn gonna show up in a movie in 1999? That's kind of a stupid question but if you were to ask now like oh when is cal kestis gonna be in a show yeah. like that's like it could very easily happen when is afra when is afra showing yeah up? we keep thinking that so yeah, yeah I, I agree and you know people have you know and well i do think there are still like like i i i will i think they probably do want to wait maybe just a little bit to get that final Jedi Fallen Order game out. Yeah. So, you know, they don't spoil. Especially if, like, you know, Cal Kestis shows up in the Mandovers. It's like, well, now we know what happened. No point in playing. Um, I mean, I would play still because I want to know yeah. the story. But, you know, um, you're right. Like, you know, it's like there was no way, like, outside of, like, Darth Maul having a double-bladed lightsaber, probably because maybe George saw that in a comic once and thought it was cool, which mm -hmm. it is. There's no way, you know, Mace Windu or the other gonna say, you're, you're gonna be like, this had returned like when mm -hmm. XR Coon did years ago. 
Sakura. Well, Ava Sakura did show up, but like there, the <laughs> idea that it wasn't that like it, it was a thing that if it happened and someone jumped between media, then everyone gets to celebrate because that's a neat thing that happened. But yeah. now, like you could reasonably speculate on whether or when someone could do it because so many are. Right. And, you know, that's kind of the, you know, like kind of the interesting thing about the High Republic, which I'm going to be so curious about kind of moving forward and why mm -hmm. I, I said earlier, I think it's the most successful uh, mm -hmm. multimedia book publishing initiative is, okay, you've established kind of your baseline. You have your fans. Mm -hmm. Once that's done, are we going to start seeing a is L, if will we see the Force Ghost of Avar Chris in Acolyte? You know, we were seeing a little bit of them in the in the Young Jai Adventures medium, and it's mm -hmm. sort of like, you know, I mean, Overn's coming. New 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 Jai yeah. didn't have its 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 preschool adventure <laughs> series. Where's Where's the Where's the little kitties have to deal with the Vong because they're not sharing. The Vong are <laughs> they're terraforming the planet and not sharing. Oh. <laughs> Showing off their edgy pain to yeah. the kitty. Uh, you know, where's Norma Nor as the villain of that show? I want that. Well, um, we almost did get the the Vong mentions in the Clone Wars and the Revan and Bane true. setup. It's like we were moving in that direction. So it's not like it's necessarily a canon versus legend no. situation. It's more just like this has been the direction that story has moved in with Star Wars over 20 years. And we're at a point where this is now. Yeah. Right. That's the thing to do. Yeah, you're um, right. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I and I do so. think while it does kind of depend on the author itself, like I think yeah. Dave Filoni being kind of the built-in Star Wars nerd is more likely to pull things than an Abrams or even a Tony Gilroy. Although you know Gilroy is actually pretty good at kind you of never know. Keeping, you never know with Gilroy. Together. Yeah, you're right. It you never know. And I think that kind of medium hopping has become a lot more prevalent. Which mm -hmm. is just as you said um where it's been going yeah. but yeah i think i think that was it you know I, we talked a lot about the prequels multimedia all that good stuff it was kind of a catch-all kind mm -hmm. of conversation but certainly i think the prequels were very much the start yes. of it um i guess i guess maybe record one last thing do you think the prequels were kind of the start of kind of tying it all together because it's sort of like star wars did have with like second shot in the arm of popularity yeah yeah the you had the the extra boost of popularity but you also finally had that big hole filled mm -hmm. like there weren't the same questions around like oh who is where did anakin come from what are the clone wars like you had those answers and now everyone could just run free george was no longer leaving as much off limits he he gave more than he withheld <laughs> yeah pretty there much we go. yeah there we go and even though, uh, you know, we, we don't know what he ever would have done with a sequel. I mean, we know he had some plans, but mm -hmm. that was probably, that, you know, that that was never, he never got to cross the bridge. Um, Maybe but people yeah. were nicer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. people should have been nicer. Sure. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Uh, but yeah, on that note, I think that's, that's a good spot, place to bring things. As much as I l would love talking about the prequels, <laughs> until the cows come home, till till you know, till Jar Jar things or whatever uh, <laughs> i don't know uh yeah definitely my i mean i'm loving it i'm loving it didn't even Thank need to wear my prequels t-shirt um so you <laughs> i have an obi-wan t-shirt actually on me oh right there we now. go you're wearing a phantom menace t-shirt there we go i mean i'm wearing yeah. my, my attack of the clones jedi temple so that, there we go who removed the legends books from the archive that's, that's <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding nobody did 
they're still there. Go read them if you want. Um, Thank <laughs> but, you, yeah, Corey, that, for uh, visiting or for being our guest tonight. Yeah. So I'll, yeah, that's a good good time to wrap things up. Um, thanks to everyone in the comments too. This is a great great conversation in the comments. Um, yeah, we were able to get that, including super chat. I always I always appreciate that. Uh, so let us know those comments aren't going anywhere. The comment boxes are going to stick around uh, in all these socials, especially on YouTube, but also you know Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, etc. Uh, so let us know what you thought of our conversation tonight. Uh, you can also, uh, yeah, please do give this video a like and a share. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Uh, you got not just one, not just two, but three podcasts right here on on this channel. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but yeah, Corey, again, as Joel was getting at, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, great to have a fellow Canadian, fellow Ontarian to, to talk Star Wars with. Uh, where can they find you on the internet? Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Loses and on YouTube, Corey's Datapad. Uh, yeah. Is yeah. there is there a story behind that, like losing your datapad? I don't know. No, the, uh, like my gaming channel is called Corey Loses because okay. I did like some preview videos for something I was working on okay. 14 years ago where I just, I was trying to record it, kept losing it, the thing I was trying to record. So I was there with the other people working on it with me for like four hours oh, no. if, for what should have been a 10 minute job. Yeah. And it just turned into a, a kind of meme from there. Fair. That's right. And uh, yeah, tell us about Tapcalf Transmissions. Oh yeah. So every Thursday, myself and Eckhart's Ladder host another Star Wars podcast called Tapcalf Transmissions, where we talk about, uh, we're going through all the books that we can. This week we're doing Dark Disciple. Yes. Which is lovingly displayed right over Matthew's shoulder there. So that one, that one, that one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Got on the second try. There we go. Uh, another Canadian too, right? Eckerd. Yes, he is. He's from out east, though, Nova from Scotia. Nova Scotia. Yeah. There we go. Canadian geography right here on the Star Wars yep. World YouTube channel. <laughs> right on, right on. Uh, Joel, thanks as always for for guiding us through this discussion, this winding, meandering discussion. Uh, but very, very natural, very organic. Uh, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at GID2021. Again, GID2021 on Twitter. Sometimes I also take over the at Ion Cannon pod. Again, at Ion Cannon pod. And of course, you can always find me on the Star Wars Underworld Discord. I will always respond to you when I can. And join us this week for on Friday for game night. That's right. And the, the link to the Discord server is just in the description below. Yes. Give it a click. Uh, if you don't see that, if the links is some issues with the link, DM us. We'll send you a link instead. Yeah, definitely get in on the conversations. Again, I'm making this every single week. I'm going to say this because I just know it's true. If you're in the Discord and you tag Joel with a question, he's 100% guaranteed to answer within the within the next half hour. <laughs> pretty <laughs> I'm much. Um, I'm not going to put that pressure on you, but you know, you're you're <laughs> you're, you're you're pretty quick on the draw. Unless I'm at like, school. Unless you're, about unless you're actually doing something, actually busy doing something, then you no, know, don't worry about it. But uh, yeah, definitely in on the conversations, and those are good conversations in there. Yeah, I share a few things in there too. You can follow me on uh, Instagram and Threads at M N E U G eleven thirty eight. One of those old school social media handles that have has eleven thirty eight in it still. Um, why not? Uh, Twitter N E U G four eighty five, and yeah, at Iron Cannon Pod E Y E O N C A N O N P O D. Again, this this Wednesday on the tractor beam, talking about Afra, Afra and Afra, uh, and then the, the following Wednesday for Star Wars Podcast Day, Chris and I are interviewing Ethan Sachs. So check that out. Uh, yeah, and I think that's I think that about that about does it. Next week uh, we're sticking with Legends. I'm taking a break. 
Um, I got an event. I got some other things to do. But next week, uh, yeah, sticking with Legends, uh, Red Leader back to chat with Joel about some more of the Tales of the Jedi comic from the 90s. So be, before the prequels, we before the prequels, way before set, way before the prequels, written before the prequels, uh, but Jedi stuff. So check that out. Uh, be sure to come right back here, uh, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Pacific Mondays, Tractor Beam, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, uh, Star Wars Underworld, uh, flagship podcast, Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, I don't quite know what they're talking about this week, but they're talk- I'm sure they're talking about something about screen film news or something. So they- <laughs> and like, yeah, all the questions that they all the, the, they I, that they flown their way, the serious questions that Joel asks, the troll questions that I ask uh, about soccer and other things. But uh, yeah, so stick around, check that out right here on the Star Wars Underworld YouTube channel and and all our socials. Um, so yeah, Corey, again, thanks again for for joining Joel. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been fun. Yeah, let's blow this thing and head home.